0: Now for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10 behind the shield 10 for a one-time purchase. Now to learn more about Thorne, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Tatoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by Newcom, and as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So, one powerful application is using the program PowerNap, a 20 minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also downregulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download New Calm, NuCalm from your app store and sign up for the 7-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on NewCalm.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show President of UMBO and Co-Founder of Unlimited Sciences, Dell Jolly. Now in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics, from Dell's journey into the entrepreneurial space, cannabis and CBD, his work with Charlotte's Web, drug prohibition, psychedelics, the health benefits of nutritional mushrooms, martial arts, mental health, traumatic brain injuries, and so much more. Now before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, Subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of over 800 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So, with that being said, I introduce to you Dell jolly enjoy well Dell, I want to start by saying firstly thank you to Matt for connecting us Matt from Charlotte's Web and secondly I want to welcome you to the behind the shield podcast today
1: yeah, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm glad that Matt has uh, connected us. He's such a, a wonderful human being and a and a dear brother of mine. So thank you, Matt.
0: So very first question, where on planet Earth are we finding you today?
1: I am in Longmont, Colorado, just outside of Boulder, nor- north of Denver. So I'm at my house for, for once. Seems like I'm gone a lot.
0: I think that was the reason that we took so long to be able to sit down together as you were traveling and I was traveling. So here we are. Speaking of homes, let's start at the very beginning of your journey then. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings?
1: Yeah, I was uh, born in Denver, Colorado in 1981, I'm 41 years old, so uh, born here, one of the few natives that's remaining. It seems a lot of folks have, have since moved to Colorado, but uh, my father uh, raised me. My mother died when I was five years old. So she, she had passed away in a car accident um, back in Michigan. She was in Michigan when that happened. And so that kind of absolutely shifted the dynamic of, of my upbringing. It was my dad and I have an older brother um, who's two years older than me, and so he uh, raised us as best he could uh, with with the uh, tools that a single father of that era could. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a tumultuous upbringing, as as a lot of people have, you know. And, and fantastic in a lot of ways. And kind of when I when I married my wife, kind of reflecting on you know telling her kind of the, some of the things that happened in my childhood she's like geez you know <laughs> a lot different than mine you know so but everybody has their their upbringing but uh really really grateful for my father and uh bringing my brother and i up uh, but lots of uh ups and downs as as a youth
0: with that one of the least discussed conversations at all hands down is our road safety and the we lose, to this day, we lose 40,000 people. That's losing. That's actually who dies. Then there's probably hundreds of thousands that have completely life-changing injuries. And then you have, you know, the titrates from there. In this entire journey that you've been on and losing your mother to a traffic accident, what is your perspective on the acceptance of that? And what do you think that we need to do to stop five-year-olds in the future losing their parents or parents losing their 16-year-olds?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a very challenging question because my, my daughter is 16. She's got her, her driver's permit and, and uh, she doesn't have her license because they actually shift it where you have to have your permit for a long period of time before, a full year before you can get your license. And we didn't know that. And so uh, she's, she's pretty upset with us that we, uh, didn't do that, but I'll tell you what, it terrifies me to think 16 year olds on the road it, in the, in the biggest thing is the, is the, uh, distractions of the phone. You know, it's, it baffles me the amount of cyclists or I just saw it this morning, someone walking the crosswalk across, uh, across the street with their face buried in their phone. And I told my kids, I said, look at this. That is not how you cross a road. That is so incredibly dangerous. That woman is just assuming everyone is paying attention. And you need to assume no one is paying attention. You know, so what are some regulations that could be imposed to make the road safer? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I think it would probably have to do something with with cell phones. But, you know, there's a lot of vehicles that are have a lot of... Um, mechanisms that are making them safer driving you know whether it's stopping your car if you're getting too close to other things but yeah i don't know that's a that's a very challenging question and uh i don't know the answer to it
0: so one thing that people don't normally discuss when it comes up you know that we had a we had a death at this intersection let's put up more signs you know let's put speed bumps or whatever but there's never uh maybe we're not teaching people well enough And this obviously isn't at the root cause of every death. You know, there are tragedies and, you know, weather conditions and all these things. But my son just turned 16 and he educated me at 15. He's like, Dad, we're going to get this permit because on my 16th birthday, I want to pass. And being a firefighter who cut people out of cars for, you know, 14 years, I taught him like a maniac you know, every time my I could, went into parking lots, he went on roads, he went on, you know, all the different types, you know. And then again, when he passed, which is just a few weeks ago, I gave him my old car. I'm like, I've just taught you enough how to stop yourself crashing the car. Now the big challenge is to not get hit by all these fucking idiots that are driving around you. And so, you know, at this when you see it for decades, you know, like like first responders do. One of the biggest things that I don't hear any conversation is. In a lot of countries, like the one I grew up in, the driving test is just a lot harder. A, you can't start till you're 17, but B, you, the bar is where it should be. Like you're going to be driving a death machine. So until you can show competency at this this level, you can't have your license. And then usually in the UK, it's like two or three times before people pass. So you think now the road is full of those people, it completely shifts the dynamic. And what I'd see... The big difference in in the UK is that people are considerate and they share the road because here we really just teach people how to go forward, back, left, right. Don't worry about the blinker. You don't need that. And then put them on the road. It's this kind of me first, like it's some sort of racing car game. And like you said, there's not the assumption of round the corner. There might be a cyclist that fell over you know and so you just fly around blindly so that's what's always interesting when i ask this question it's not to do anything other than get that conversation out there and especially like yourself for people who have lost loved ones to this very thing and then to see years and years go by with all these different politicians and presidents and no one talk about the thing that claims tens of thousands of lives every single year
1: yeah absolutely the it, it, it's it, Really interesting. I mean, as far as how casual we are about hurling down the road at 60 miles per hour and a couple tons of steel, you know, and uh, I that's just what I try to reiterate to my kids is no one you pretend as though if everybody is on their phone, looking down the entire time, the light is green, you better look both ways before you even go. You know, even when you're crossing intersections, just be kind of aware of people's speeds, you know, it's, uh, it's a dangerous place. And uh, definitely something I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, one time I was driving and I uh, was reaching down for something I was going about five miles per hour, and I hit a like a speed bump in a, in a parking lot. And my face bounced off the steering wheel, five miles per hour, hard steering wheel. And I was thinking, holy smokes, like this is a this is a traveling wrecking ball that uh can kill people you know and uh, a lot of people have uh, experienced it firsthand whether it's my mother or you know a loved one or been in wrecks themselves or yourself you know saving people out of those scenarios um certainly a a very um you need to have some responsibility around it very serious absolutely
0: well I just interviewed um, one of the members of the Wolf Brigade team, which is a, a strength and conditioning gym in uh, the Northeast, and I do their programming now too. And uh, she lost her, well, she basically, her father walked out when she was young. I think he ended up passing away later, but she grew up in a single parent family and it was her mother. And so I, I was, you know, we had this assumption that, you know, if, if uh, you know, if one parent's there, it's enough, but obviously the the father and the mother or whatever roles those take in a same-sex relationship for example usually you know they say it takes a village ideally at least takes two people so she was kind of talking about as her mother was a loving great mother but there was still the absence of the father figure when you look back now at your upbringing how did that factor in reverse you grew up with your dad but you you had the absence of your mother at least you know your original mother
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very, uh, it it didn't become aware to me what I had missed until I got to see my wife with our children, you know, and it's these really small moments that you kind of, uh, take for granted or don't even really realize that exist or the, the, the softness that she has for our kids. It's really tremendous. Uh, bums me out that I, I missed out on a lot of that very kind of a, um, hard upbringing where my dad loved us for sure. And, and and we knew that and stuff, but you know, we weren't, we weren't telling each other, we loved each other. We weren't hugging any of that kind of stuff. And, uh, but that the feminine energy and, um, divine nature that it is, Uh, if you don't have it, when you kind of see it live and in action, it kind of takes you back about how incredibly beautiful it is, you know? And so I've got my oldest daughter, 16, uh, obviously being a female, it's some of the first times I've ever got to spend my life with women, right? Whether it's my wife and my oldest daughter now, but I have a middle son who's 13 and I have a seven-year-old daughter as well. And it's, um, it's really encouraging to be with them and kind of see what makes them tick, what's important to them, how you can communicate with them. So I'm very, I'm very new to that in the sense that I didn't have a mom to to kind of go back and forth on, but to to see my my son with my wife, his mother is a really tremendous thing, and and I um, am so incredibly grateful that we get to be in our kids' lives together because I think that there's, um, you know, a lot of our, our world's ailments are probably could be solved by just having a mom and a dad having dinner with their kids every night. You know, I mean, that's, that's something that we try to do all the time. And, uh, to, to see my wife engage with a softness that I never had is, is absolutely beautiful. And, and I'm, I'm, incredibly grateful for what I did have. And I had some great uh, females in my life who helped, you know, to, to a degree, but my, my grand, my father's from Michigan. So all my grandparents were in Michigan. So it was really just my dad. And and he, um, he'd married, he'd, there's a couple of wicked stepmothers in, in the mix there, you know? Uh, so, but to be with my um, wife and my daughter and kind of see how the feminine mind ticks. It's it's a really beautiful thing, and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity now.
0: What we were talking about as well was I, I'm divorced and then remarried, and when you get to walk the walk in a healthy relationship, and the kids gets to see that in a single parent family, a daughter may not see how to be treat how you should be treated by a man and then vice versa, you know, how you should treat a man. It's not a one way relationship. And that's kind of what I had in my first was more like a she was looking at me because of her childhood dynamic that it was Prince Charming. Well that's not a real thing either. And that's a very one way you know, you're going to do stuff for me, kind of thing. But it's amazing. Again, we look at this whole philosophy. It's, oh, the household, you know, it's the problem today. You know, it should be, should be the whole family together. But the reality is, it just isn't. There's a lot of multi generational trauma out there. So for me, it's where are the mentors then? Where are the other people that can be in that child's life that can maybe show them what, you know, love is between a couple and, you know, what strength is to a girl or a boy? Um, and that's the part I think that we can affect in the community. We can't make a marriage work, but we can be a mentor in, you know, our jujitsu school or our regular school or our church or whatever it is, and you know, try and kind of bolster some of those gaps that we've got in society because of I'd argue hundreds of years of trauma.
1: Yeah, and I, I really enjoy having my my son in particular bring his friends over. You know, uh, just because I, I I really remember that age and and kind of the the way that their minds are ticking, and uh, it, it's fun to learn about his friends. You know, what what are the, what are their families like? What's that dynamic look like? How can I create a safe space for them to you know confide in us and and build those those relationships? Because I I did have a lot of really great relationships with a lot of my friends' parents. You know, even when I was 18 and I, I moved out for a little bit. And then after a couple of years, I was having so many struggles, but I, there was no way in hell I was going to move back in in my dad's house. So a friend of mine, uh, his folks let me move in with them. And I lived with them for like three years and they were a really important mentor. They, they also were one of the first times I got to see a husband, wife, healthy relationship, you know, be put together and displayed for me and they were um, very tremendous as mentors and what they provided me, the safety net to get my shit together. And then I went from their house to to buying a condo with my wife, you know, and that really kind of set the foundation. And so while I've got a lot of friends who don't have kids and and I kind of tell them what I always tell people, start a Gmail account for your kids right now. If they're two years old, their name at gmail.com, get that password, and then write them letters all the time. You know, write them uh, about your day. Hey, t- today I was on this podcast and we talked about this and that, or I had this guest on, or, and here's some books you should read. Here's some songs I'm listening to. These are the things that piss me off. These are the things that I, you know, I love, whatever that is. And then give it to them in 20 years when at, the, at a rite of passage, whether it's maybe gr- college graduation high school graduation a marriage or whatever but why i'm stating that is if you don't have kids you could still write that damn letter and then give it to a niece or a nephew or or someone who i think everyone should be always trying to think what is it that i can do to make sure that i'm leaving this place better than um i found it and mentorship with young people is, is absolutely where it's at service you know
0: absolutely well, going back to your childhood, as you progressed through the school ages, what were you playing as far as sports?
1: I wrestled. I, uh, I, My dad wrestled back in the day, and uh, I played football and baseball, but um, wrestling was where it was at. I've always liked individual sports. I always liked the fact that it was 100% you winning or losing. There was no politicking in it. Um I liked how hard our wrestling room was in the sense that uh, our, our coach was from Iowa. He even wrestled with Dan Gable or, you know, from that, from that era. And he brought that kind of uh grind to our, our wrestling room. So, and I'd always remember the football players when I was in high school, they were, they were the state champs and they were supposed to be big shit and they'd get out of their, their season after, you know, a couple months, months are supposed to be, you know, tip top shape and we would work their ass. You know, they just couldn't hang with us in, in the wrestling room because the conditioning was a lot different. So um, I wrestled, but I was, I was a, you know, 50, 50, whether I was going to win or not. I, I started when I was a sophomore, uh, but I, I always enjoyed that sport.
0: Did you continue martial arts? Cause I can see you got the cauliflower going on.
1: Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting and, and we'll dive into it maybe, but, um, I, I did not, I did, a, I did jujitsu a year after that, but it was in the gi and I didn't like it. it. just was, I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. And, uh, as I'm sure we'll progress in the, in the conversation, um, I, I had a psychedelic experience and that experience, um, my kids, I was putting my kids in jiu jitsu. And I was sitting there watching them, and then the kids' class would be over, and then all these men would come in and they'd start rolling. And then I was like, why am I not doing that? I'm not like, I'm this is when I was 35, is when I started. And I said, I'm I'm still physically able. I've got no excuse to be sitting here watching. It's time to start rolling again. And so I, I started I started with the wrestling class. That my now coach was he was a wrestler throughout his whole life. And um uh, I thought, oh yeah, I'll wrestle. And then I kinda realized like wrestling's a young man sport, you know. And uh like, oh, you should go to jujitsu. I'm like, no, oh, that's too that's too soft or whatever. You know, I don't know what I was thinking, very, very <laughs> new at it, you know. And then uh wrestling got too hard, takedowns just getting blasted, you know, and so started doing jujitsu and now now it's like it's all I do. I uh I try to get in five days a week, you know, at least. It's uh, very important to me now.
0: Do you do gi or no gi these days?
1: No gi. Only no gi. Me too. I've done gi before, but no gi is, it's the evolution, you know? And I I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of jujitsu folks who are your listeners and they're gi and they might hate me for this, but the way I see this, man, it's Japanese jujitsu was a thing, right? And a beautiful art in the beginning, and then it evolved into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and the Brazilians, the Gracies, they 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 made it a different thing, and they made it better. And I just believe No Gi Jiu-Jitsu is that next wave. It's a it's a future deal where we'll drop the gi and and do that, and, and maybe never drop the gi. That's that's whatever. But for me, it's a faster sport. It's a it's a more uh, technical sport you have to things have to work you know arm barring in nogi is a lot different than arm barring in a gi you know you don't need to be as as good straight up you don't need to be as good to uh get an arm bar on a gi as you would need to when someone's slick and slippery on a on nogi so maybe it's because i wrestled back in the day that's why i I, um enjoy the the nogi but it's just it makes a lot more sense to me
0: well living in florida my biggest thing was i only have so many days a week and my school is uh like 30 miles from my house so it's like a 40 minute drive basically each way um but it's just the the tribe it's, it's the school that i resonate with and they do really well in all the competitions but i don't feel like it's a murder fest every session so they have that perfect line of technical but also enough um you know, it, it's still a, a tough role, but you're not leaving with ribs dislocated and your neck hurting and all that stuff. But um, but but when you live <laughs> yeah. in Florida, I'm like, okay, I want the most bang for my buck. I walk around in a t-shirt and shorts. I can't start knitting with a freaking overcoat so that eventually I tie them into a big knot. You know, so that was my big thing. I mean, it just made more sense. But the military, you know, if you're fighting a you know a, a soldier in a cold area, then yeah, maybe you can use that against them and the gi has more of application and russia you know sambo yeah they're not walking around in board shorts in russia but i think rio and florida it was very pertinent to if i walk out my door what is the person going to be wearing am i going to be grabbing a sleeve or a naked arm
1: yeah i um i train 10th planet uh 10th planet denver shout out there matt's a member of that as well um and I really like that. I like the fact that I could travel anywhere and pop in those gyms. And, and to your point though, too, the cultures and different gyms, very, very unique. It's actually quite a, quite an interesting thing. Uh, the, the various amounts of ideologies in different schools, even, even in 10th planet, some 10th planet schools are, you know, kind of more casual where, um, my brother trains out in San Diego with boogie. And so I've popped in there a few times and that, that room's filled with some killers, you know, and they, they, they go super hard and they're safe though, you know, but you definitely want to have your head on a swivel and and it's, it's very much like state champions of wrestling, a state champion Colorado wrestler, you know, might not make the JV team in California. You know what I mean? Because California, crowns one state champion at a weight class where Colorado has a bunch of different weight classes or school um, populations that define uh, how big the school is. And so there's a two, a three, a four, a five, a state champion. And so, um, but I, I like, um, I like the culture of the 10th planet gym. You pop in a lot and you could feel welcomed and kind of know the system pretty well anywhere you go. But, it's you know, athletics are just kind of a universal language. I was, I was training out in uh, Todos Santos, Mexico, and, um, you know, the instruction was in Spanish, Except really, really good for learning Spanish, too, when you kind of see something like, oh, I know what he's saying, even though you don't know all the words. Uh, but then I was seeing people out in the town that were in the jiu-jitsu gym, and, you know, one guy was renting me a surfboard, you know, another guy was a waiter at the restaurant, you know, those types of things. It's um, jujitsu is a very uh beautiful, beautiful sport, in my opinion.
0: I was talking again to Heather. I think one of the things that we're missing is that concept of shared suffering. Now, you can look at it as everyday life with air conditioning and, you know, all the things that we get to enjoy now but also in the fire service the the law enforcement communities the departments that have allowed their bar to get lower and lower we're seeing less professionalism less um, athleticism and i would argue you know less camaraderie too but when you go and find these places where you artificially suffer whether it's a jiu-jitsu gym or a crossfit gym or a Spartan race you really that's where you find community again and i think those are such great kind of um Microcosms of the communities that we need to put back in this country.
1: Yeah, that's what I see at 10th Planet in Denver. I mean, this it has very little to do with jujitsu. After a while, you know what I mean, and you could kind of see that, like, oh, people aren't here for jujitsu. You know, of course, obviously they are, but uh, the the connection that is being built, the team, the tribe. You know, we're we're designed to be with other people, and we've we've created this false reality where we all live in our cookie cutter homes 15 feet from another human being you don't know their name you know or you've never you've never had dinner with them you know it's it's really uh something that I think it, it, we're kind of feeling it we're kind of like becoming aware of like what are we doing why why do we live these ways you know and I think a lot of people want to get back to some level of tribalism and i feel like jujitsu is probably a good start crossfit's probably a good start you know
0: absolutely well what about career aspirations again when you were in school age what were you dreaming of becoming
1: i wanted to be a herpetologist when i was younger that's the first time i've heard
0: that on the podcast
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i uh, really enjoyed catching snakes and Studying snakes, and if you know, I was in Michigan ever for a family reunion. I'd be on the paddle boat trying to catch turtles and snakes and frogs and things of that nature. And so, uh, when I went to college, I was taking biology courses, and I had a uh, an internship with the uh, Department of U.S. Department of Wildlife out on the Rocky Mountain Arsenal out here in in Colorado, and we were capturing deer fawn whitetail and mule deer and we're doing a telemetry study we were putting collars on them we were taking biopsies putting pit tags in them and uh so uh and we we even did a burrowing owl study where i got to catch burrowing owls and so i wanted to head into nature whether it was reptiles or anything of that that kind of category but then i kind of realized the amount of schooling that was going to be necessary to to basically have a really low paying, incredibly uh, competitive job market, you know, I, uh, I cut myself out of the, that, and uh, you know, life catches up to you a little bit after, after high school and after kind of the first couple of years of college where things start to get a little bit real. And um, so I didn't pursue that. I ended up going into construction like a lot of people, you know, so flipping houses for a while, which, which was good. But, um, that was, that was the beginning of what, um, I felt is my greater purpose.
0: So up to that point, I mean, obviously you, you've been in the kind of, um, zoology world and heptology, had you a connection with the more holistic side of, of living and, and the plant medicines or any of those, or did that come later?
1: No, that came, that came much later. Um, I, um, I guess, I guess what I would say as far as like health and wellness or, or plants as medicine never was in my foresight, but I had uh, worked in many greenhouses and I, and I enjoyed working in greenhouses. Uh, my, my grandparents have a big farm in Michigan and, uh, so I, worked on the farms in the summers and worked in my grandma's greenhouse and then got a job out here. And this was like nursery stuff, you know, selling trees and loading sod and bags of soil and things of that nature. And I've always really uh, enjoyed plants and I could name all the flowers and I really uh, enjoyed gardening, but I never really understood of um, plants as medicine until, until later. And that, and that kind of came into, like how I got involved in Charlotte's web, my, my love of nursery and and food, a friend of mine kind of said, Hey, because I was totally against marijuana, right? Marijuana is, is I bought all the, uh, all the hype from dare, you know, I was a gold medal winner of the dare program back in the nineties and, uh, thought weed was losers for losers all the while drinking my ass off. You know, and I, I've said that uh, tons of times on, podcasts where alcohol is just this relationship oh yeah it's what you do you know you drink that's that's like what you do if you go to college you drink if you're a guy you drink and you fight and you you know talk shit and you do all the manly things and weed is for losers though weed you sit around on a dorm and and uh eat crackers or something you know um but I, I, in flipping houses, I flipped a house for myself here in Longmont where I'm at today. And it was on three acres and it had a bunch of apple trees. And we are moving out of a, a, a condo. And I'm super excited to get back into gardening. And uh, so I read a book, The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, who just so happened to write the biggest book that's kind of launched a lot of this uh, psychedelic renaissance, uh, How to Change Your Mind. But I read the omnivore's dilemma and it was just kind of talking about our sources of food. And you know the fact that a homegrown tomato is a whole lot different than a store bought tomato. Density, nutrition density and and all the things. And the fact that you know if you're buying a a a peach. I don't know if you, if you ever grow fruit or you or a tomato, right? You have a tomato plant in your garden and you spend all summer growing that tomato. And if I were to pick that tomato off at the end of the summer and said, "Hey, I'll buy this from you for seventy-five cents," there's no way you would sell it. There's no way you'd sell it. You wouldn't sell it for fifteen bucks. You probably wouldn't sell it for a hundred. Like, no, I'm just I I grew that all summer. I'm gonna enjoy that. You know, it's worth more than that. So it's always like someone's getting exploited on the food system. But someone uh, said. Boy, Dell, you, you sure do talk a lot of shit about food and how important it is and how, you know, you're taking your health back in your own hands and and, and all these things, yet weeds for losers? Like, how do you not understand that it's the same system? It's the same bullshit. There's, there's um, side effects of cannabis which are getting high, but the health repercussions that come from that are really, really solid, actually. You know? And I um, watched a documentary called The Culture High. And The Culture High in it was, uh, basically, there's a lot of incredible stories. But there was this father who said, who was treating his son's seizures with cannabis. And he said, my life's goal is to hear my son say, I love you. And at the time, my son was, you know, probably six years old, five, six years old, and he'd tell me he loved me ad nauseum, just, I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. I love you. And, you know, and, and, and I would be almost frustrated, like annoyed with it. I don't know why. After I saw that, never again, never again would I ever take that for granted. And it made me think, wow, man, my mouth and my own education on weed, weeds for losers, like why are you smoking weed, blah, blah, blah. That's the problem. I'm part of the problem. I'm stopping that man from helping his son treat his seizures because our culture just has accepted that this bullshit drug war, you know, and I did, too. And so me mouthing off is part of the problem, you know.
0: Well, again, back to the first responders perspective, we get to see that. You know, I don't think I've ever remember a fight, a murder, a traffic accident that was verified as someone being high. And if it were, it'd be the world's slowest murder for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be a really, really you know, committed victim at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But all the tragedy that we saw, you know, all the car accidents, all the shootings and domestic violence, you know, and all this stuff that was alcohol related. So early on for me, it was like this, this just... It doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, there was the whole, this is your brain on drugs. It's funny. We're having this conversation. I just made a, I wouldn't call it a meme, but I found the, the original poster that said that and took the word out drugs and put politics like that actually fits. This is your brain on politics. Now that is a perfect analogy. Now the bullshit that you're all fucking arguing about, that's what's happening to your brain. But as far as drugs and prohibition, you know, we'll we'll get into that even deeper, but you realize as a paramedic and a firefighter, 14 years in, like we're not winning this war. You know, all it's doing is creating more and more and more problems, more crimes, more overdoses, more homelessness, more prostitution, all the things. So, you know, now when when I'm seven years deep in this pro this podcast and I have so many people that are. First responders and military that are having so much success today with CBD, with marijuana, you know, if the THC is helping them as well, with psychedelics, with MDMA, led counseling, you realize that you know this whole thing that it was on. Do I advocate for crystal meth and and you know and heroin? Absolutely not. But it's a mental health crisis. It's not a substance crisis, and everything got bundled together. And especially at the origin story, had Harry Anslinger that it was founded on job justification and racism initially. So now I think, and I fucking pray that it, we're finally there at an awakening where people are stay, taking a step back and going, we we were, we were hoodwinked. It's, it's just that simple, we were hoodwinked. And some people were in it for the right reasons and they were hoodwinked too, but the real people behind it, they knew exactly what they were doing.
1: Yeah, and that's just it anymore. You know, I um, with the age of the internet, Ignorance is a choice and there's no more excuses anymore to, um, be against these things. Uh, I mean, there, there's just too much information out there. You want to be back in the nineties when people couldn't, you know, hear stories of children's lives being saved. You know, it's like people don't understand this. You know, I'll, I'll ask you, James, uh, do you know what the, the color for the, what's the ribbon for breast cancer? What's the color?
0: Uh, pink, I think, isn't it?
1: Yep. What's the color for epilepsy? I have no idea. It's purple, and uh, more people die from epilepsy than they do from breast cancer. And and I I say that because I'm showing the fact that it's just what are you aware of? Mm-hmm. what is being uh, brought forth to your mind that's actually educational or you know a perspective? Breast cancer they got killer marketing dude they've done a really good job at that in in great cause i mean give all the money that i don't give a shit that's a wonderful thing but it's just kind of a point that more people die from epilepsy and so the the idea of strong convictions loosely held i'm all about passionate people man i am one i am i am frothing at the mouth when it comes to whatever my opinion is today and right now if you are providing me with good information. I should be able to change immediately. If someone is going to show me statistics that cannabis hurts more than it helps, I'm open to it. I haven't seen shit though. I've seen um it affect young people, young people in their development in in uh their their minds. Therefore, don't smoke weed when you're a kid. Don't do it. Don't do it long term. I've seen, you know, um Um, hyper basically when you it's continued vomiting from smoking weed. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. The hyperemesis would it be? Yes. Yes. Um, So that's like, a you know, if you're you're smoking a lot, geez, put it down, you know, or obviously, I think there are some issues with the way that they're concentrating these things and making them so concentrated. It's not this kind of bullshit that you'll hear these senators say where, oh, it's not the weed we used to smoke back in the day. Well, first and foremost, I thought you never smoked weed back in the day. And now it's just really dangerous. It's not, it gets you ripped, that's for sure. But I haven't seen real data that shows that it's absolutely something that we should shut it all down but that's what they're doing they're they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know so um people need to have strong convictions loosely held and there's a book called chasing the scream uh that we've talked about and you said you had um him on your on your uh podcast i mean man you can't read that book and and think that worked it's worked in Portugal uh why don't we implement that here we, and we don't because there's too much money to be had and this isn't some 10th planet conspiracy theory <laughs> bullshit this is the goddamn truth you know there's too much money to be had in the private prison system in healthcare, and pharmaceutical companies they will not allow this stuff to um, unfold the way it should because it would crush all their uh jobs and all the things that come from that but things have got to change
0: well you mentioned portugal i mean people listen to this podcast a lot will hear me talk about this frequently but they i mean it's it's an amazing example they right around the end of the 90s had a really bad um opioid problem a lot of their soldiers had come back from war in one of the the colonies or what used to be a colony and um they, you know, brought back. I'm assuming probably an element of PTSD with them, and and the opiates were their coping mechanism. And they had, I think, the at least the worst addiction problem in the in Europe, if not the world. I always forget to, to kind of look up on that one. And they went to the Portuguese people and said, like, "Look, we've done this whole American war on drugs model, and it's not working." And so they democratically put it there and they had more resistance from the right, which you would imagine same kind of thing here. But they started seeing it working. But what they did is they took a lot of money and they put it in all the things that you would need to address it. So they put in, you know, um, addiction counseling centers. They put in um, job creation and, and gave bonuses to employers that would take recovering addicts and put them back in the workforce. There was mental health counseling. There was all that stuff set up. And then they put it in. And in less than 10 years, they went from the worst to the to the lowest rate of addiction. And so I sat down with João Gulao, who's the man who spearheaded that, once in Lisbon and the second time just a few weeks ago um, over Zoom. And you know, no system is perfect, and they still have people that are addicts in Portugal. But it's such a small amount, and they have safe centers to go and get methadone or whatever it is, and you know the the um, the places to shoot up and all these. So they're they're minimizing that amount that they just can't save that are just too far gone. But when you have that conversation here, like oh oh, so now we're gonna have drugs in the grocery store? No, did I ever fucking say that? Did any of that come out of my mouth? No. But if you say, well, you know, we tried it in America, it didn't work. No, you legalized marijuana. So every other addict was still in the shadows under the control of the underworld. Decriminalization means I catch you with whatever, meth, heroin, you know, whatever it is. And you get educated on all these resources you have. And you're not even forced to do it. You get educated. So most people, you've removed the stigma, you've removed the barrier to entry, and you've told them, we're not going to give you a criminal record for this either. So you're more employable. And most of the people then sought the help they'd always wanted, but they've been hiding in the shadows up to that point. Now you've freed up law enforcement resources. You've made the streets of Portugal safer. And the legal system is now free to address the real bags like the dealers, the smugglers, and everyone else.
1: Yeah, and I mean, addicts, I mean, it's hard. I know a lot of, I'm I'm ultra conservative, which which also kind of baffles me that like, my party would be the party who's wanting to regulate and put their governmental hands all over these things. Like get out of the business, let people do what they want. If you're not hurting anyone, let them do the things. The moment you start hurting people, now we get involved. But, um, my understanding is, you know, folks who are addicts, they don't want to be an addict. They don't want that life. They don't want to live on the street. They don't want to, Um, have to do the things they do to, to get their um, fix and they don't have the resources and they've never been told of options to help with the trauma that caused that in the first place. It's like, it's like guns, you know, let me tell you, regulating guns isn't going to do shit. It's not going to do shit and you're still going to have criminals doing terrible, terrible things and instead of putting the effort towards that, why don't we put it towards mental health and well-being or trying to uh, lift up family services where people can have the resources so they can eat dinner with their kids at night or whatever that is. But right now everyone's working multiple jobs or like trauma is the beginnings of all these things. And I commend Portugal for saying what we're doing is not working. We were, we were wrong in that approach and now we have the mental fortitude to assess this and make change. The United States is so incredibly thick-headed and, and stubborn. I, look, at, look, at, look at our elected leaders, you know? Dianne Feinstein, Mitch McConnell. I don't know whose party you're on, or and I don't give a shit. Most people would vote for a potato if it had the right letter after its name. You know, these people should have no right ushering us into a very complicated new future. I don't, I'm, I'm I was at the gym the other day with my daughter and these young kids, (laughs) I'm going to get shit from my friends here because I bring this up so much in the last few days, but they're taking their shirts off at the rec center and they're flexing in the mirror and they're like, and I'm, I'm just like appalled by like, you guys are little boys. Like, what are you doing? But, but I'm being told, no, this is the way it is. This is the, this is the wave of the future. Like they have the confidence to do that. And it's really hard for my 41 year old brain to understand why a 16 year old child would be doing that. I'm, I'm dated in my way of thinking, let alone a 90 year old person, you know, like they're going to somehow maintain a fluid thought pattern around things like AI which is changing every fucking second or a fluid thought pattern about the complexities of how to change environmental woes. Like the fact that we are okay with that, it's going to be, it's going to be the chicken's going to come home to roost on that shit. I'll just say that we've got to do something to be a little bit more fluid with the way we, we think and the drug policy can be one of them and, Good for Portugal for stepping up saying we got a problem. We need to we need to make drastic change. That's commendable.
0: Well, here's that. when I think of people changing their mind, the first word that jumps in my mind that comes from those fucking awful people that call themselves leaders in, you know, government buildings is wishy-washy. Well, Dell, you said that you were against drugs and now you're for drugs? You're wishy-washy. No, I learned more stuff and I developed more humility to go, you know what? we kind of made the decision what we were been told then, but then I realized that I was wrong and that's okay because that was then and this is now. And today in 2023, having listened to Johan Hari's work and, you know, watched 14 years through a first responder's eyes, what I believed then is completely wrong, but I believed it because my environment allowed me to believe it. But now I've got to pull behind the curtain I look behind the curtain and I see it completely different. That's not wishy-washy. That's humility and growth.
1: It's growth. It's growth. It's like I don't have any problem with anybody who's against drugs or are for the way we do it right now. But if you start receiving information and start really understanding what's happening, and you still adhere to that, now you're just an asshole. That's all there is to it, you know. And we have to be a lot more fluid. We we've got to bend before we break, you know.
0: Absolutely well speaking so you you're doing the gardening um there's a a little girl um Charlotte Charlotte Figgy um you know she starts having these seizures Paige, who was on the show finds the uh, the brothers and and you know, behind Charlotte's web the company and they develop a formulation that stops her basically uh, palliative care seizures where she's going to die any day and it adds another nine years of life to this little girl. So how did you interact with that group of people? And then walk me through your time there.
1: Yeah, Paige started the realm of caring with Heather Jackson. Heather Jackson's son, Zakai, is the second person to take Charlotte's Web. So they they started that. They are founders of Charlotte's Web. They, uh, those women and the brothers and Matt Lindsay came together and 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 moved charlotte's web into its own category because the brothers had uh thc dispensaries and then charlotte's web became its thing but heather jackson um is a is um the co-founder of the realm of caring from seeing the culture high there was a um, friend of mine i had a few friends who were fighting in the ufc at the time my my business partners were uh, wrestling coaches um or like Nate Marquardt and, um, our friend Jared Hammond. And, uh, so I had a few friends who were in the UFC and in their culture high brought me to the realm of caring. They mentioned it, or somehow I, I learned about the realm of caring pages organization. And this is early 2016. And they were doing a, um, campaign called when the bright lights fade. And this was about Concussions, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and CBD. And Jake Plummer, the quarterback for the Denver Broncos, was kind of spearheading this with uh, Ruben Drones and Nate Jackson and um, some ball players. And I had my friends who were fighting in the UFC. It really piqued my interest to think, okay, these guys are getting punched in the head, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is absolutely going to be a thing for them as well as, you know, NFL players. Boy, I didn't know cannabis could help with that. That's weird. You know, that kind of blew my mind. And so I went to Colorado Springs. I met these families and I met Heather, I met these mothers and I went down there for a day to just kind of learn more because I was sponsoring uh, their golf tournament. I was going to, um, uh, learn more about what they're doing and sponsor their golf tournament. And I just remember these mothers saying, telling me their stories. And, and again, I came back that evening. It was late They're in Colorado Springs, which is like two and a half hours from where I live now. And I came back in the evening and my kids came home. Hey dad, what'd you do today? And I just remember the first time in years getting down on my knees and just crying and just crying because I was so grateful for their health, and I was so embarrassed of my position, just steeped in um, lack of education, and so I knew I had to be part of this. I knew I had to do something because I I I was crying. Shit, I don't cry, you know. I, like you just don't do that. Uh, and so, but I was I was moved, and I knew I needed to be part of it. And so, talked to Heather Jackson um, Hey, you know, what, how do I get involved? What I do. And, uh, she said, you should work with Charlotte's web because they're closer to where I live. And so, um, started working at Charlotte's web and that's where I met Matt Lindsay, um, very early on kind of the first week I worked there. And then I went to LA for some show and, uh, that's where I met Matt Lindsay and he had long hair back then, dude, he had hair, (laughs) down to his, down to his butt. And, uh, he was a hippie and he was my first hippie friend, you know, and, uh, but, you know, worked there for multiple years and, and just really opened my eyes to the possibility. It wasn't just cannabis as something that could help these families as much and as equally as it was a complete shift in my mindset of, Oh my gosh, I was so adamant about this. And now look at all the new information I am getting. And that's super exciting. If you're open to it, that's the thing too. Like you would be closed off and adhering to your things. There's no growth there, you know, but if you open it up, like, Holy shit, like it's exciting. And so, um, I just learned so much and spent so much time with a, a lot of families and, and uh, became a, you know, really important to me that there was good quality medicine out there for little kids having seizures.
0: So talk to me about some of the, the kids that you saw and what did you witness yourself? Cause when Paige is talking, obviously um with charlotte i mean literally she's got days to live she's seizing for i forget what she said like 28 minutes like a one and a half minute postictal period and back into a seizure again so this poor child is literally seizing the entire time she gives the cbd mixture and then immediately they start subsiding and to the point where like i said nine years and then and then ultimately covid gave her a fever she had the seizure that killed her and then that was it but what are some of the other miraculous stories that you witnessed through your eyes and through the, the storytelling of the parents?
1: Yeah, I mean, those stories are so incredibly common. And that was the one that really made me know I need to be part of it is uh, the, this woman was to tell me how her daughter, you know, her her daughter, you know, would wake up in the morning and I'm going to feed her as quickly as I can because she's going to start seizing And then she's going to have so many seizures that she's going to pass out and go to sleep in the middle of the day. And she's going to wake up for lunch, and she's going to have a little window of time that I could feed her where she's not going to choke from all the seizures she's having. And then she's going to have seizures so hard she's going to pass out. And then we're going to do this. And that was her life, and that's what she was up against. And it's like I don't understand how anybody who has a freaking heart in their chest – wouldn't at least step back and say, Oh my God, what's going on? You know? And, and Heather Jackson would tell me stories about, and Heather is a absolute bulldog. She, she is the most tenacious, wonderful human ever. And she's just like, she's, she's my best friend. I love her. Um, tell me how she would go into Senator's offices and like step in there and set a clock. And I can't remember what the time was like, like nine minutes and 38 seconds you got i got nine minutes and 38 seconds because in nine minutes and 38 seconds someone's going to die from a seizure and i'm not here to fuck around and you know try to convince you like kids are dying you know and they you know bring kids out on the senate floor and whatnot and if you see a child having a seizure i mean this isn't this isn't a um I don't know. And this is why I I wish I was a little bit more intellectually capable of putting my words together in in a a more uh, sophisticated way. But for me, it's like I go into rage. I go into anger. Like, what are we doing? Why? Why can't in Idaho, Nebraska, South Dakota today, right now, September 14th or whatever it is, 2023, kids can't have CBD in those states. They can't go into a store and buy it. Everyone from Idaho, Nebraska, and South Dakota should be burning down the freaking city council or whatever the fuck it is because what, what are you doing? You are preventing children from safe access to something that works and has not a fucking inkling of the repercussions that pharmaceuticals do. And I'm all for pharmaceuticals. I'm okay with pharmaceuticals. They should be the last line of defense. Let's do these plant medicines. Hey, they didn't work. Those didn't work. I'm sorry. CBD doesn't work for your kids because guess what, everybody? It doesn't always work for your kids. Matter of fact, sometimes CBD will induce seizures. Let's move on to, to a pharmaceutical from there. But no, we have it reversed. And so um, seeing the moms and in, in these family members at the lengths that they would go, that more so inspired me than even just seeing the the children. Like that's um very challenging, and I'm um, blessed to have spent time um, with those families and children. Uh, but I I never did to the depth that the brothers or Matt Lindsay did, where you know it's very very raw, very very beginnings. But the inspiration that I was given by a lot of moms from the realm of caring that is what ignites me today that's why i do what i today i do today because i i'm i'm on fire for this and it and it makes me very angry to think about all the states that don't allow these simple safe natural medicines to this day you know and so it's a life's it's a life's work it's 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 i'll be dead before a lot of these idiots get it you know
0: <laughs> well firstly i can relate to i always say i'm i'm a Contradiction, walking contradiction, because I'm all about peace and positivity. But if people don't get it, I want to choke them and punch them in the face. <laughs> so it's, it's yes. that that torn thing. But yes. you just what you said about the the Senate having to witness a child having a seizure. You maybe flashed to a, a video that kind of surfaced last night or today, and it was a several addicts, I think it was in New York, all unconscious, literally like a pile of unconscious addicts. And I read I think that the reason there's outcry is not that there's addiction or homelessness or prostitution It's the fact that people are being forced to see it. Have you seen that yes. these bums under, you know, when are they going to, when are they going to move them on? When are they going to get rid of them? So it's not like, when are we going to fix this problem? It's Just when am I going to stop seeing it so I can go back to my sticking my fucking ostrich head back in the sand. So yeah. I think we need to pull these things out the shadows and we need to hold them up to these people And we need to find the right leaders, too, because you said about which side I am. I'm neither. Like, right now, the analogy I use is, like, expecting to find a good person as a presidential campaign at the moment is like going to a turd factory and expecting a fucking cupcake. The system is broken, so we're going to keep getting the same shit bag with a different color tie every four years, and then people are going to argue on them and die on their sword about them like that was their fucking messiah from day one, and it wasn't. So until we... Get real leaders and get them to address real issues, whether they're in your face or not. Only then are we really going to move the needle and a lot of these problems.
1: Yeah, and it's so it's so frustrating. You know the 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 talking the the talking about how much you care. Oh, Donald Trump this, Joe Biden that. You don't give a shit. If you gave a shit, you'd go down to your own city council and, and, and get involved there because that's that's all we can control. And, that, and that's kind of like even like when COVID was popping off. I was like, what's act- what's happening? What can I see that's happening? Are people dying in the streets and all this like, you know, bad? Are people getting sick? Yeah, okay. I've got a few friends who are sick or whatever. They're like, what is the truth? What can you control? And at the end of the day, for me, it's kind of only what can happen in my four walls, you know? And then, you know, once I kind of have that honed in and I'm working with my kids and I got them to hopefully grow up to be not a bunch of assholes, well, maybe I'm going to run down to the city council of Boulder and ask them if they might want to consider changing their policy on the criminalization of psilocybin, you know, like I've got time for that. That's that's change I could actually implement, and I could speak to a human being who actually might do something, which then could have a ripple effect. We keep thinking about these big things like, oh, who, whoever's president is going to make or break. Like we are kind of at a tipping point for sure in our in our culture. However, it's too late. We already fucked up by being so so you know adherent to one party or the other that again, that, that chicken's going to come home to roost, but I think you should only be focused on what can you actually do in your own neck of the woods, you know, keep your side of the street clean. That's what my dad always says, you know? So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that stuff is in our face, the homelessness in California, San Francisco, San Diego. It's like those policies, whatever they're doing out there, they're not working, you know? So, What's the tipping point? When are people going to make, okay, we need radical change. Not, not just some, you know, one bill. We need to shift huge policy.
0: Absolutely. I, one of the things I think that really inspires me is Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, for example, when it comes to psychedelic conversation, those ways of disseminating information without any filter. Now, of course, if you listen to you know, left-leaning podcast or right-screaming podcast or whatever, you're going to get the same shit. But if you listen to people that are just trying to bring people on that have solutions, and I hope that this podcast is the same kind of thing, you don't get to interrupt. So you can be driving in a truck with all your Trump stickers on or driving in your Prius with all your Biden stickers on, and you listen to it and you go, I'd never thought of it that way because no one's interrupting it, you know, and you can't interrupt. And this is what I love about these conversations. I really feel like they are the ones that are getting to the people now because the news isn't the news. And I talk about it all the time. This fucking CNN and Fox are the same exact show, screen divided into four, four dickheads answering, uh, arguing with each other. Hold, us, hold on a second. We've got a drug commercial coming up. We'll be right back. That's, that's our quote-unquote news. So the way that we're actually hearing real people, and this is how I got onto psychedelics was through Tim and Joe, and then you're like, wow, this would help the fire service. This would help the military. This would help, you know, the the patients that I ran on and we watched take all kinds of benzos for their seizures. And I kept running on and running on and running on. Wow. And I know that one of my frequent flyers, she ended up finding a it was CBD and or THC and it changed her life, you know, all because not someone, you know, in DC or even someone wearing a white coat with a stethoscope, but a you know a comedian or a dude that wrote you know entrepreneurial books had people on and that was how people started learning so i i find this method of communication and documentaries as well is like the new kind of um you know uh, shift in how people actually get their information and if you make sure you're listening on the right platform and then obviously do your own due diligence after that there's so much for us to absorb and so much for us to question now. And there's so much hope. There is hope that you don't need to have surgery for your back injury. You don't need to take pills for your arthritis or whatever it is. There are so many other ways. And, and we're circling around to that ancient wisdom that survived thousands of years that was rebuked by modern quote-unquote science literally in the last 60 or 70
1: yeah. And that's what the, the promise of psychedelics are. I mean, these are, these are, we, we say psychedelic Renaissance for us in the Western world, but this is not a Renaissance for many, many indigenous people who never stopped, who died for this. And, you know, I, I always feel embarrassed speaking about psychedelics as though, if it's this, you know, great new thing. And, and I think of all the people who've died for, for, as a medicine carrier you know, and, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of good. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a walking contradiction as well, where I'm saying, you know, do, do, do your local thing, you know, do your local thing, do what you could control within your four walls. And also like, we need so much fucking change. Nothing's going to help, you know, like these, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's very challenging. There's, so, there's so much, but I think, I think the the biggest thing is to be fluid in the way you think and receive information. And, and to your point on these podcasts, you have to shut up and listen. And that's just it, you know, two ears, one mouth, right? So, um, but the future is bright too. And that's the thing too, when everyone's always so down and out about whatever, I always, I don't know who said it or whatever, but the, the idea of Okay, well, if it's so shitty today and you were reborn at any time of the world, any time, and you could pick any time of the world, but you didn't know what you're going to come back as, you're going to choose today. You're always going to choose today. Because if you say, oh, the 19, the roaring 20s, that's where I want to go. Cool, you're born here, but you got polio. Sorry, enjoy. There's no medical help there for you or. Oh, the 70s were rad. Okay, fantastic. You're black in the civil rights movement, you know?
0: And you got drafted to Vietnam.
1: Right, and you got drafted, that too, you know? So whenever you're down and out about the way things are, you're not going to pick a better day than what we have today right now. Or it's even just the idea of like, I can give you $10 million for tomorrow, right? Or like, uh, how, how's it go? It's like, uh, I give you $10 million right now, but all I want is the rest of your life, right? And so no one would trade tomorrow for $10 million. So what does that mean that the value of today is, right? It's worth all the money in the world. Cause you wouldn't take all the money in the world to, to never have more than just a day, right? So we're lucky. We should have a lot of gratitude for where we're at. Is there a lot of problems? Hell yeah. Is there a lot of ways to fix it and change it? Yep. And let's do it. You know?
0: I agree 100%. I think the, the gratitude piece is missing. And this is the problem is that, again, when you have whoever, if you expose yourself to negativity and, oh, this, this person does this and this person is in 1986, this person said that you're missing now. Which is, and I always talk about this, you know, like people, every once in a while, people are like, well, if you don't like America, why don't you go back to England? Because I love America. That's why I'm trying to be part of the change. That's what you do as a, you know, as a patriot is that you, you know, you dig in and you force change. But that doesn't mean that you forget how good it already is. And this, I think it's when you can see how good it actually is, that's what makes you want to fight to keep it as good or if not go back to when it was even better like local farming now we kind of fucked up the farms in this country we can go back on that we kind of fucked up mental health a little bit we can go back on that obesity crisis but we can get back to where fitness isn't something that you get from protein shakes and gym visits it's just being a human being we can go back to that so that's what you know advocation for that's very different than bitching and whining but I think the difference between those two is gratitude someone who loves this country and sees how beautiful it is, is. will fucking fight for clean water and clean air and not all the trees being cut down.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, it's hands down the best country in the world. There's no better. There is no better. I, I, and I, I haven't traveled to every country, but I'm pretty goddamn sure that we've got it good here. The fact that we could have these conversations now, that doesn't mean that there's not a shitload to change but that's just it here you can actually do it you can actually implement that change other countries no you're not you're not changing shit you know so i'm incredibly grateful to be here trying to make change
0: well, speaking of change, you find yourself working in Charlotte's Web. So now you're you're kind of involved with the CBD mainly. Obviously, as you said, the brothers have the THC arm as well. Walk me through your journey into mushrooms and psychedelics.
1: So when I was at Charlotte's Web, uh, Matt Lindsay and I had become very, very tight. And he's obviously very involved in the corporate social responsibility aspect of Charlotte's Web. They went public and it, and it shifted the dynamic a bit, you know, from kids having seizures to a bottom line. And that's the way it is when you go public. And, you know, the 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 thing that gave me solace about is like, okay, well, if we go public, we'll have more money to help more people. Okay, fine. So that's good. But very much a struggle. You know, there's, there's a heart centered group of folks there. And uh, Matt is one of them and a really special dude. And he knew that I was frustrated and hurting on some things and we talked about I'm like man I just need some change I need I need something to change and um you know maybe maybe we should go out deer hunting and and uh, bring some mushrooms or something and and eat those and see what that's like or whatever and long story short uh Matt invited me to a um experience where I um had an experience And that experience, psychedelic experience, showed me what I'd been searching for for, at the time, 35 years, 34 years. And all it was was just a deep, profound knowing of what and who I am, you know, and what and who I am is everything and nothing all at once. Just, you know, people who if you know, you know. Uh, but that psychedelic experience absolutely shifted everything in my mindset about, um, what I need to do to, to move forward and how do I get more people to come into their own scene of themselves. And I think the only way we can do it is through psychedelics. We, and deep meditation, but unfortunately United States and most people don't have a profound meditation practice. Cause we don't, we don't cater to that. We don't encourage that. So psychedelics are the way. Uh, so I uh, had this profound experience in 2017 and very quickly, I found out that Kevin Matthews was running the decrim Denver initiative to decriminalize psilocybin in the, in the city of Denver. And I reached out to him and I said, Hey man, I, I need to help you. What can I do to help you? This is, I know this is super important. Um, how do we get this on the ballot? You know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to see it get on the ballot. And I, I thought if it got on the ballot, we will have seen success. Why well, is the outreach director for that initiative? And, you know, we hosted uh, weekly or bi-weekly meetings where we were uh, just doing whatever we could to, collect signatures we had a a bunch of volunteers who were collecting signatures and and getting this thing on the ballot and um we collected enough to get on the ballot and i was super excited about that and then it came closer and closer to the actual election and we 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 kind of flew low under the radar because it was a very very small team of people who were trying to push this forward and not too many people knew about it and and the idea of like, well, if we make too big of a stink, someone will come up with some opposition who has time, money, and resources to squash us. So flew under the radar, but about three weeks before the election, I started reaching out to everybody I knew who had any sort of Instagram following and we're sharing our, our poster, our, it was a really beautiful, um, it's an image of a woman and butterflies and decriminalized Denver kind of in the, uh, obey Obama kind of, um, look that shepherd fairy kind of deal. But, uh, anyway, reached out to all my people. Rashad was a, a a friend of mine at the time and he shared it. And then, um, um, I reached out to Duncan Trussell, you know, Duncan Trussell is comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a really killer show to, uh, And, and uh, he's good friends with Rogan and Duncan's like, yeah, man, I'll share that. So he shared it. And then Joe Rogan reposted it. And then a lot of people just started reposting Joe Rogan's, you know, and so there was this, this palpable energy, like, Holy shit. Like people are starting to know about it. And then on election night for the decrim Denver deal, we're at the election party and I brought my whole family there. Super important for me to have them there had worked on this thing for like a year, And um, the numbers were coming in and we were getting smoked like, oh, shit, you know, well, we had a good run, you know, like that was a really that was, you know, it was pretty exciting. And, and you know, hopefully Oakland, California will be able to do it in a month or so. Well, so I went home and then the next day I was talking to Kevin. He's like, yeah, it's not over. And I'm like, okay, you know, it, it probably is or whatever. And he he wouldn't let it go. And then I was on the phone with him. He's like, no, Dell, you don't get it. Like we're, we're actually, this could come in. Like we could still win this or whatever. And he's like, oh my God, I'm, this is the call I've been waiting for. I got to go. And he hangs up and calls me back like 30 minutes later. He's like, we fucking won. We won, dude. We won, and and they won by like 1,900 votes. 1,900 votes uh, got that on uh, you know popular vote to decriminalize psilocybin in the city of Denver, and it was the first municipality to do it, and uh, and it was followed by Oakland about a month and a half later, where they decriminalized all entheogens, naturally occurring entheogens, ayahuasca, um, mescaline-containing plants uh all the things and and for me though that was like holy shit it's on like this is this is going to be a thing like people are going to finally start understanding that this is just like cannabis in the sense that it's a it's something you were told was one thing yet we're actually finding out it's another you know and and so i say it all the time cannabis is absolutely the gateway drug. You know, it's the gateway to all the bullshit that you've been fed and understanding that it's all lies, you know? So now it's led to us understanding that mushrooms aren't the bullshit you, you know, that's the thing about these people believing in these things so hard and dying on that Hill. There's still people who think marijuana is unsafe, you know, compared to shit like alcohol, you know, and that's like my post after, after we won the election, my post was uh, me cheersing my wife with a you know shot of whiskey, the world's most statistically dangerous drug ever, more, more dangerous than heroin, more dangerous than methamphetamine. And here it is in my hand, in my liquor cabinet, easily accessible for all. And not only just that, it's encouraged by our culture. Here I am cheersing the statistically safest drug in the world, psilocybin just to be decriminalized. It's not even legalized, you know? So that was the decrim Denver campaign, which is something that I'm, I'm always going to be very proud of and something that I will be able to look at my kids in their eyes and say, not only was I on the right side of history, but I fucking worked my ass off to try to make it happen, you know, and like have something like that. I don't care what it is. Have something you're passionate about, and you, in, in, and affect change. Or, you know, working at a pet shelter or a homeless shelter or a food bank or cleaning up sidewalks. I don't know what, like, just love something and do it and be proud of it. You know, but uh, that was the Dacrim Denver campaign that um, popped off May seventh, two thousand nineteen.
0: I don't know if you're familiar with American history, but there was a time where they made alcohol illegal. There was a gentleman, Alan Capone, that became quite famous because of that. Yeah. This is what's so yep. ridiculous. That was an epic failure. And then immediately after that, the reefer madness and all that stuff, and we went and decriminalized uh, we went and uh um criminalized all the drugs and it just got worse and worse and worse from there so this is the crazy thing is that we literally had a longitudinal study on prohibition that was a huge failure that again created gangs and all that stuff and we were like well that was shit let's not do it again fast forward a couple of years they do it and then we wonder why we have crips and bloods and lay and you know all the issues at the border now you know i mean it's and then we're going to build a wall Oh, really? Have we ever said, hey, we're the largest consumer of illicit drugs and we're getting it from those guys and we're just going to put a wall up because those damn Mexicans keep coming in, fleeing their own really? country because we made it a fucking war zone? This is what blows right. my mind. Again, that that kind, compassionate slash angry <laughs> part of me is like, when the fuck are we going to wake up? And I think now we finally are. But the irony, the the nauseating lack of common sense is is just you know we, everything was there for us to see now when we grew, you know we born into the 70s or the 80s i get it we didn't have that but now we're all growing up and becoming adults it's like jesus christ you talk about history repeating itself capone was the Crips and the bloods it was that simple when you decriminalize when you criminalize something you create so many more problems in the world and here we are
1: well, yeah, and, and then you give people felony charges for selling weed and they can't get a job. The fuck do you think they're gonna go do? I can't get a job. I can't get a normal job because of my, my drug charges for selling some weed, you know, or hell, let's just say even selling crack. You like look at the community that's that's been built based on these regulations. You don't have an option to or or options are limited. So you sell drugs, you get popped, you get a felony, you can't get a job because you're a felony drug dealer. So you need to make money. So you start selling drugs and you just repeat the thing over and over. Like, are we, are we fucking surprised? Are we sitting back on? I just don't get it. (laughs) I just don't understand how this is like, why can't you just get a regular job? You know,
0: scratches his head Uh, like Stan Laurel.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it it's baffling, but but that's the hope though too is that younger people are more educated. They are. You know, my my children are way more educated than I am at, at what they know right now, and they will be when they're older. And that's okay. That's the one thing that we you know, we're not producing elders in the United States, we're producing olders, just older and kind of dumber and not like stepping into like wisdom and part of wisdom is recognizing that there's a new era coming and there's a new way of thinking that I don't think that way. And so I'll adhere to my wisdom and impart it in the ways that I can, but my time is over, you know, and it's not over. It's not, it doesn't have to be over. It's just, there's a next, you know? And so, I'm hopeful that the the younger folks and and we are those younger folks now. You know, forties who are starting to starting to be of an age to have the resources to implement change via money and power. You know, uh, but we see these other these other folks, the you know, Dianne Feinstein, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, all these dinosaurs moving on and they need to, they can't, they can't move on fast enough. It's a, it's a real, um, problem. And if anybody's a fan of them, you need to look in the mirror because they're not doing shit. They're not doing anything for you. They're doing nothing that is moving forward. They're, they're adhering to the same practices that don't work. And the only constant is change.
0: Well, speaking of change, one thing I've witnessed, especially, I guess, initially in the SEAL community of people that came on, was this finding of psychedelics, especially for the PTS, you know, PTSD element that so many of us have. And again, a real aha moment over and over again is actually it was the childhood pre service, pre uniform that a lot of us really were unpacking when it came to it. I know you and I talked a little while ago. Talk to me about the success that that you've seen with psychedelics in the military community, but also in the fire and, you know, first responder community as well.
1: Both of those, you know, we talked about Charlotte for so long and, and children having seizures in that um, visual of a child having a seizure and you, you give them cannabis and they stop having seizures and I mention it to you. And I say it all the time. There is, there is no Charlotte. For the psychedelic movement, the closest thing is the American veteran or the American first responder. If we can't um, see eye to eye to the pain and suffering that first responders, veterans, you know, people of this caliber, police, police men that and women who are, we are asking them to be our guardians and our protectors and our servants in in a really challenging way. And then we also say, when you're done with that, we're not gonna allow you the things that are necessary to heal from what we asked you to do. That's really challenging. And so um, I see my dear brother, Marcus Capone, who runs VETS, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions, 13 year combat veteran, um, Him and his wife Amber are just absolutely on fire. They are on fire and they are, they are making massive change. They're doing it with Dan Crenshaw and AOC. This is a beautiful thing. I don't give a shit who or what you think they have done on their own outside of it. Them coming together to help champion some of the stuff that Marcus Capone is putting together with Vets and Amber Capone is putting together – Capone, isn't that just such a fitting name for them?
0: Talking <laughs> end, prohibition, ending prohibition. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, they're doing really tremendous things, and they're and they have a voice that I think um, I th- we need to convince conservatives of this. And again, as a conservative, I, I am baffled when we stop allowing people to, you know, you do your thing. Let's downsize the government. Let's not build government to stop that, you know. Uh, but it, Marcus says it all the time. And it's really interesting that he goes over to foreign countries to fight a war that he's been asked to participate in to serve his country. And when he comes back, he has to travel to Mexico, another foreign country, to heal himself. What, what kind of sick and twisted world is that, that we're, we're not educated enough to understand that this is actually an option that we should, we should allow these guys to do. Like when, when do we, uh, so honestly admit to our stupidity. Cause that's what it is, is like, we are just too stupid to understand this. So you're going to have to go to Mexico. You know, Um, but there's a lot of groups who are coming out. Jesse Gould, who's a friend of mine, and you've had him on as well from um, Heroic Hearts. They're making great change. Marcus Capone's making great change. There's there's a group called um, um, Heroic Path to Light, and these are first responders, um, police officers and firefighters and paramedics mostly. So it's not veterans. Um, They are starting to kind of step into their own and and make some change as well. Um, But it's that collective of humans who I think are uniquely positioned to, to carry this voice because at the end of the day, it's probably their peers who are the ones who have that dare mentality or that more conservative drugs are bad mentality. Drugs are evil. And if they could know someone such as yourself, oh, I know James. He, he freaking is dedicated over a decade of his life serving human beings. And the stories that he's had, the lives he's changed, the, the the things he's had to endure, he's a good guy. I want him to have whatever it might be to heal, you know, especially when the safety profile is better than fucking vitamin C on you know psilocybin in particular, you know, so um I'm I'm a big fan of those groups. I'm always trying to if I get on a podcast, I I do what I can to to mention the hard work they're doing. Um even even before my nonprofit Unlimited Sciences, which hopefully we'll get a moment to to chat about. But uh when it comes to this issue and and kind of the status of the world we don't have much time, I don't think, to get this shit right and to make some radical change. And so I'm always trying to say, hey, don't take me or some dirty hippie's word for it. Go talk to Marcus Capone. You know, like if I'm if I'm not resonating with you because I am a little bit too lax with my drug policy, go talk to Marcus Capone or Amber Capone. Amber, who's a wife of a, a Navy SEAL who's had to deal with not only her husband being where he was at, but their community killing themselves and all these things. She's never done any of these psychedelics. She's um, a devout Christian woman and she is wise. She understands the power of these things and she understands how it's helped in firsthand what it's done for her. Um, Hey, whatever I could do to pour gasoline on their cause, I'm all about it, you know, so that's who that's who holds the key to this kingdom i think
0: yeah marcus was on the show um like and then i've had so many other people that you know like uh ryan Parrott, one of my good friends is a seal that i know were struggling and then they came out the other side dan dan cerillo who sadly passed away from something completely unrelated uh earlier this year i think it was you know Ibergain was the absolute key and it was alcoholism of that particular one but that i've Underline the same irony that marcus talks about these men and women serve lose limbs see horrible shit have to do horrible shit for this country and they come back and now you're saying they've got to go overseas through a really dangerous border by the way where there's mexicans trying to get in and we built a wall and all that shit if you can get past that you can go get help <laughs> right <laughs> it's insanity <laughs> um but we i asked you this question with the cbd side talk to me about some of the success stories or you know maybe one or two that really really resonated with you about veterans first responders that were right there and this uh, psychedelic experience pulled them back and put them on the healing journey
1: yeah i mean um i i've got I, i've seen it in rooms that i've sat in um i have an old high school friend who um was a marine who just lost dude just a shell of a guy and um Quiet desperation, you know, just um, struggling relating with his kids, struggling relating with his wife, um, seeing any sort of glow on anything. I think we all kind of get to that point after a certain age, but it was thick with this guy and uh, former Marine. And in, um, I talked to him about mushrooms and, and using mushrooms in particular and uh, him using them. Absolutely shifted everything for him, and, and um, his his business is thriving. His his recreational life is absolutely thriving. He's finding joy. He's he's seen that childlike wonderment. It's kind of like, look, man, if you have young kids who are under the age of seven, in particular, who you aren't really like intrigued by and just smiling and like in awe of because. Children under seven are on another plane. They're in a different world. And if you are not really seeing that, it's time to ask yourself, you know, maybe you need to get back into that spirit. And, and again, psychedelics being one of those things that that, um, has done it for me, I think it can do for others. But this Marine friend of mine who has young kids, he just sees it now. And it's really beautiful to see you know, these big, strong men, he's a big dude, you know, and uh, to become super sensitive and, and heartfelt boy, like the, the new masculinity I see is, is special. If, um, and it's, it's unique. There's not a lot of people who carry it. There's some, um, some hatred on masculinity right now, but there's ways to do it in a way that you can still be really firm and aggressive and yes, even violent and still be healthy, you know? And, um, uh, but that's one, that's one dear close friend of mine. Um, I know other folks who are helping at heroic hearts, a friend of mine, who's a Marine Raider who, um, listening to him in circles, not talk about anything that happened in when he was overseas nothing and i know he saw and experienced lots and lots of pain there but when we sit in these circles and to hear him speak about his childhood holy shit my my mother dying and my father being an alcoholic and kind of a you know single parent home Thank God for that. I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky that that was my upbringing compared to his shit. Like how, how do we inflict this type of trauma on our loved ones, you know? And so it happens a lot. And, and so trauma is not – a no one has a monopoly on it. No veteran does. You know, everybody – if you're born, you got trauma. Uh, but the stories that, that I see quite honestly, James, I mean, for me it's like I don't really – see what it is you do or what inflicted that trauma. And I just see people healing and, and overcoming and analyzing challenging parts of their lives and stepping into the new, you know, and really recognizing a past and a future, you know, but paramedics, I, I, you know, we, we talked about it briefly and I I don't know if we're going to go too deep into it, um, but I was in Mexico a couple months ago and I was telling you this story where long story short, a gentleman was struggling in the riptide and I, I raced out into the water and I tried to save him. I was giving him CPR on the beach and he died. And I remember doing that. And there was a former paramedic with me and uh and an anesthesiologist and, and, and I was, I was pumping his chest and I'd done CPR a long time ago, but they were trying to find a vein and, for Ivy and all these things I didn't know what was going on, but I remember looking up and seeing, you know, a hundred people standing around. I was thinking everyone here is taking on trauma. And then the guy who was next to me is a former um, paramedic for like 20 years. I'm like, this is what this dude did every fucking day. And I'm, I was upset. I was like, you know, I was like, keep your shit together and, and do the pace and listen to what they say don't start crying because I was getting super emotional because I knew he was going to die, you know? And I was just thinking like, I cannot believe what paramedics in particular have to go through or firefighters have to go through as their job. It is absolutely tremendous. And to all your listeners, my God, thank you. I love all of you. I love, I love your human spirit, your, your essence that puts aside all of you and all of the shit that you are about to take on to help another human being. That is the most beautiful thing. And in the chaos of what's going on, it's hard to see or understand that, but God damn, that is so absolutely beautiful. And to choose that as your profession and do it day in and day out. Holy shit. I only hope my daily work can be as passionate in convincing people that you should have the opportunity to heal the way that you choose to, you know, so while first responders and firefighters and, and, and the folks of that category that you're talking about and asking, you know, well, what about, those stories in particular, they have no monopoly on trauma, definitely are exposed to it a whole lot more than the majority of us. Um, but at the end of the day, what I see the most and what hits me the most in any of those rooms is, is all those traumas being melted away and people coming together and embracing, whether it's a professional athlete, a paramedic, a dad, a stay at home, a curandera all these people coming together just to experience a little bit of humanness and a little shared suffering in those in those rooms um and just ultimately what looks a lot like love to me you know so um it's a pretty tremendous thing
0: you made a comment earlier about your seven-year-old telling you he loved you all the time, almost to the point of irritation. And then I didn't jump in, but I was thinking, well, when you were raised in a family where you weren't told you love each other, that's where that came from. When I look back at the conversation about what it is to be a man i think the word toxic masculinity is used completely inappropriately i don't think there's really very many chauvinists in the world i don't at least not the, the men that i've ever interacted with most of my life where i think it actually is toxic is the facade of masculinity that most of us were taught you don't cry rub some dirt in it men are like john wayne well john wayne never fucking served he was an actor you know what I mean? And from what I understand, not even a, a great human being, if, if you know I mean what do I know, but that's what I've heard. But yeah. a real man, and I always point to this show, thank God they made it, otherwise I wouldn't have a good analogy. The band of brothers, when they, obviously you've got the dramatized bit, but at the beginning of the end, the real men of Easy Company speak, and by this point they're in their eighties. And every single time they're tearing up. And these are some of the most fearless warriors that we've ever seen in in American uniforms in a long, long time. And this is the part of the conversation we're missing. And and there's a perfect analogy is the yin and the yang. Like, you know, walk softly, but carry a big stick. A man should be able to cry. A man should be able to embrace another man when they've just seen some horrible shit. But like you said, someone then, you know, walks towards a school with a gun. You then don't start picking flowers. You have to put your big boy pants on and hope to God that you're going to make it out the other side. So then you bring that into the fact that then you've got a first responder or military profession that when mental health has finally got some sort of acceptance, they're like, well, it's because you were in Fallujah. Well, it's because you saw that kid decapitate, whatever it was, and we're missing your formative years before you ever put the uniform on. So one of the things that I think is so powerful about psychedelics, about MDMA-led therapy is we have boxes and some of our boxes are so tight that we didn't even know they were even there. And one of my friends is a Green Beret just had a psychedelic um, experience and unpacked childhood sexual abuse from a relative. And this is a guy that I know is in touch with emotions and he writes and all kinds of stuff. It took a psychedelic experience with counseling because that's the other thing. You just open the box. Now, you know, the shaman hopefully is going to help or whoever's leading it, but then you've obviously got work to do as well. But, I think for a lot of people that are hesitant it's it's like giving you a flashlight in a dark room, and you finally go, "Well, fuck, I didn't realize <laughs> this thing was here. No wonder I've been struggling with things A, B, and C, so again, that word hope, what I love about this is it's not that you're just gonna you know have that kind of seeing, feeling God experience that so many have, and then you're gonna walk out the you know Costa Rican jungle and be fine again." But it's really about, we've pointed, everyone pointed to that thing, your military service, your first responder profession, the fact that you were a coroner your whole life or a dispatcher or whatever it was. But if you didn't really understand the fact that your adoption at three years old left you with a sense of why was I not good enough for my parents, we're missing a large part of this conversation. I think psychedelics and MDMA are the solutions to so many of those problems.
1: Yeah, and you you give the analogy of a flashlight in a dark room, and and uh, even better one is a lantern, right? Spread light on everything, all around that. What's behind you? You know, and that's that's a thing. I mean, um, very interestingly enough, on um, on Monday, some first responders came came to my house to to have a mushroom experience and i had a pre meeting with the guys and there was a group of them and and one of them big strong guy right physically physically imposing dude and he's asking all the all the questions that i'm like this dude's not going to show up he's not going to come because he's saying shit like you know uh you know my life's been pretty good i don't really have any traumas or anything you know <laughs> like anybody who says that immediately like oh okay you got some shit buried <laughs> under there And, and I was like, you were born, if you were born, that's a trauma, you know? I mean, you just don't, you just don't come in here without, um, having some, some, some challenges in all of that, you know? And so, uh, everyone's got it. And, and that's just it too, like with, with, with my nonprofit unlimited sciences, where we're working with Johns Hopkins on how people use these in natural settings, we talk about healing, learning, expanding. And as this Western Renaissance happens around psychedelics, we're going to always be learning and healing. And everybody will always be learning and healing. But then there's this, there's this um, moment that we will hopefully see, and hopefully everyone has in their own journey where they've spent a lot of time working on the learning and healing aspect. But then they start to expand and they start finding that, you know, more beautiful world our hearts knows is possible, you know. Um, But right now there's a lot of trauma and a lot of people in there and they're not even aware of the things that are getting in their way. And that's where it's like, that's the beauty of these things is they open the doors and and they shut down sections of your brain, the default mode network to allow you to look at things that you didn't even know were in the room, you know. And when you could address those things, the potential to expand into a more loving human being, or you know whatever it is, that's good. But then you know you've got to have that uh, that community surrounding you post experience to um, ensure that you could continue to grow. And it doesn't just become an experience. And that's why jujitsu is where it's at. That's why CrossFit's where it's at. That's why you know, maybe it's singing circle for my wife, you know, she'd never sang in her life and now she goes to singing circle and she's singing more often, you know, but the community, the real thing, the Tuesday what's happening on Tuesday. Cause that weekend was really expansive and really, really cool. But what do you have set up for Tuesday when no one gives a shit about your ayahuasca circle? No one even knows what ayahuasca is, you know? Uh, how are you going to move forward in a, in a, um, Container that can cultivate whatever it is you learned on the weekend. You know?
0: Well, you mentioned unlimited sciences. Um, I actually had uh, Emily Kuma Kaplan on, who's working with Greg Glasman at the moment. They've got a thing called the Broken Science Initiative. And it's kind of interesting because, again, all the gospel that we were fed when it comes to foods you know, the health of certain foods or exercise or whatever it was, they're basically breaking it down and going, a lot of the science is shit. Actually, you know, and it's it's fascinating to watch. Like we're going so many levels up now. Um when it comes to psychedelics, someone again I would argue with humility would look at a cult, you know, multiple cultures that have used them for thousands of years and go, Okay, that's a pretty solid longitudinal study. But we're in twenty twenty three, people wanna I quote, see the research. I have people ask me, Can you show me the research why a firefighter's week, um forty two hour work week would be healthier than fifty six? I'm like Did you just fucking ask me that or show me the research? So, I mean, there's common sense. But, I mean, there are a lot of organizations where that science and the safety and efficacy obviously need to be proven. So talk to me about the nonprofit and what you're doing there to kind of bolster the movement on the psychedelic side.
1: Yeah, we're doing that. Uh, Heather Jackson is my co-founder in Unlimited Sciences. And, look, all we are doing, when Heather Jackson's son was having seizures – and there was no doctor that was going to help her what she have to do she had to do this on her own and so she leaned on Paige, and Paige said well this is what i'm giving charlotte okay well i'll give zakai that and then and then it snowballed into a community of moms who had to take this into their own hands and they started collecting data amongst themselves around the kitchen table what are you giving your child how many milligrams What time of the day, what pharmaceuticals are they on? Are you including THC, just CBD? What are you doing collecting that data? And it got so robust and they started having such success. They called on who else but Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins took on their registry. Now the realm of caring, uh, the rock.org, they have the largest repository of information on how people use cannabis over 70,000 people have um, gone through their, their deal and they are able to, so if your child has a seizure right now today and you don't know anything about cannabis, they could call the realm of Karen and say, child just had a seizure. What do I do? Well, how old are they? What were they diagnosed with? What are they, you know, what are the pharmaceuticals they on? Okay. From our data points of the, thousands and thousands of people have gone through our study, start here. Start here and see, see you know, what happens. And, and it's better than zero. It's better than what Heather had. It's better than what Paige had, you know. And so we knew when I was on the Decrim Denver deal – we need to have something in place like that for all the naysayers. You're like, oh, psilocybin is a bunch of bullshit or whatever, you know, like you need that white coat to tell you it's okay. You need permission because you don't have the mental fortitude to, to think for yourself. So you have to have someone, some letters behind their name to tell them. So I knew we had to do that. And, uh, the, um, Albert Garcia Romeo who's our principal investigator on this study. Um, my understanding he was looking at the cannabis data for realm of caring and was saying, wow, this is like really good data. This is really good information. It's super important to have what people are really doing, you know? And all these studies that we hear of all this progress we hear are clinical studies at Johns Hopkins. Super important. We need to do it, but let me tell you this. There's only a few hundred people who are ever lucky enough to go through a clinical study to get to get through all the um, checks and balances to be part of that and they only take a few you know these studies like smoking cessation there's an in of 19 people it's not very many people now super important really really relevant work and, and and we need to continue that but that's not how i'm tripping psilocybin that's not how anybody i know has ever sat on a couch at johns hopkins i know one person who's done it because i interviewed them and they're a friend of mine now No one gets to sit in a clinical trial and use psilocybin. They're taking it camping with their friends. They're taking it before a concert. They're doing their own work. They're maybe working with an underground therapist. That is really important data. That's super important. And so just like the cannabis uh, study, we just did that for psilocybin. How are you using psilocybin? So it's a prospective um, longitude, longitudinal uh, registry where that means basically two weeks before you use psilocybin, you go through some pretty intense um, surveys, about an hour plus of, you know, validated measures. This is, you know, childhood um, upbringing, childhood trauma type stuff, all the way to depression and, and um we even have uh, head trauma things now, sexual satisfaction stuff. Two weeks before, then you take uh, a survey hours before you use the medicine, one to three days after you use the medicine, two weeks, and then three months. And that gives us a really wide look at, okay, what are people doing? What are they? Um, what are their successes? What's the average amount of um, – uh, psilocybin they're using, um, how many people are they with? Are they with a therapist? Are, there, are their health outcomes positive or negative? And so we started that. We started Unlimited Sciences in 2018. We are going to publish our very first paper September 19th, next week. It's been like four-plus years in the making of collecting this data and putting it together in the first paper, I should kick myself for not knowing it off the top of my head. But 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 it's something it's something crazy like uh, psilocybin. Uh, people use psilocybin to have persisting better mental health and well being, right? And it's like no shit, no shit. <laughs> you you don't say. People who use psilocybin are better have better health and well-being and, and, and mental health. No shit. And I knew that. I knew that we're not gonna now that we are finding some really super interesting stuff. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna downplay our our study that I spent so much time on. But it's kind of like I don't need Johns Hopkins to tell me anything about our study or psilocybin being safe or effective. Or I know. I know. However, I also know that there's a huge magnitude of people who need to be told what to think or what to do, you know? And so they've got to read it in a research paper and, and look, look, I, I shouldn't sound so ignorant. I know how important these things are and it is very validating. Um, but I, I do find myself getting a little angry and taken back about why we are taking so long to implement natural medicine back into our lives. Like we're, we're validating nature. We're asking for permission uh, to use something that we've used for thousands of years. And, and now we're like, well, let's just see what the studies say. Let's just make sure everything's okay. You know, like it's, it's quite baffling to me. And, and even, even on like a recreational thing, like all these studies are, Depression and smoking cessation and end of life anxiety and, and and that's what we need to use these for. I think using psilocybin recreationally is a pretty good goddamn safe uh, way to recreate. I'd rather have people do that than drink alcohol because um, alcohol is really quite dangerous. And look, I got nothing against alcohol. I think it should be I think it should be legal. I think people should be able to do whatever they want. Um, within the confines of keeping each other safe. You're going to drink, don't get in your car. But if you want to drink, go for it. Don't care. Um, that's, your, that's your choice. And the same should be for for psilocybin. But going on a rant there. Long story short, our study um, is validating the community's use, showing that they know what they're doing, that they're having consistent uh, well-being post psilocybin trips they're doing it safely very small it's there but a small amount of people are needing psychological help post experience so this is not without its its uh warnings and and um uh, caution uh but overall it's seemingly what we kind of know it's 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 pretty safe and pretty damn effective so that's what unlimited science is doing that's one study we're also doing a ayahuasca study with uh Mostly female Saudi Arabian, or or, or, or I'm sorry, Arab refugees. And that's a really interesting study that we're putting together. We're doing more community based studies. How are people using these? How does psilocybin affect the other thing that we're trying to put together with my business partners in Umbo, uh, Jake Plummer and Rashad Evans, NFL players using psilocybin, UFC fighters using psilocybin? What do those communities look like when they use it? Is it different than um, a women's group? Is it different than a first responders group? Is it different than, you know, and and what are the goods and bads that we could kind of come together with some sort of harm reduction to say, hey, if you're going to do this, we've studied this, you know, leave the Pantera music out, leave the alcohol out, like bring in the acoustic guitar. I don't know.
0: There's a phrase that someone said a a long time ago now that I absolutely love. Don't wait for science to prove what you already know. And I think that applies to so many. It applies to what we're talking about now. It applies to a smaller work week being more beneficial for rest and recovery and responders, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing is that I focus a lot on the psilocybin with the mental health side, but I agree 100%. When I was in Japan, mushrooms were legal at that time. There was Hawaiian. There was Mexican. And... I can remember all the evenings that I was on it because it was so much fun. And I laughed. Me and my mate went and watched uh, Planet of the Apes the Mark Wahlberg one, And then the lights came up and everyone was a monkey. And everyone on the tube on the ride home was a monkey. It was fucking awesome. So didn't get into a fight. Didn't stab anyone. We laughed. We went home. So, you know, there is an element. And even with MDMA, I mean, you know, again, at the same time, a few of uh, the ecstasy experiences, danced a lot, hugged a lot of people, didn't get into a fight, didn't stab anyone. So yeah. the recreational conversation needs to happen as well. And I think where the regulation, as we we're talking about with CBD, that just needs to become on, on purity and efficacy. Because uh, I think it was um, Paige, I think it was Paige talking about that. Um, you know, when you are growing hemp, for example, the example she used was hemp is used for, for cleanup. So, you, you know, you have a massive oil spill, you grow hemp. Well, you want to make sure that's not the hemp that you're getting in the gas station CBD. That's why you go to Charlotte's Web, for example. But, um, you know, so now you apply that to the psilocybin, the mushrooms, whatever it is, and, and you're going to these trusted farms that are growing it the right way and, you know, having the right amounts in there. But I think that also needs to be in the conversation. How many people would drink alcohol if they had access to marijuana or psychedelics and that was their preferred thing? Because I just want to laugh. I don't ever drink to get drunk never have never will and the times i've got drunk i fucking hated it you know it was embarrassing it was you know it was awful it was a hangover i get migraines everything but i just want to laugh and if mushrooms i think it was the mexican mushrooms will make me giggle like a five year old boy all night give me those all day long and i'm probably not going to touch a drop of alcohol
1: yeah well that's a that's a big thing that we're seeing is that a a lot of people are giving up alcohol um and it, and it's that's a that's a good thing i mean i think alcohol is a it's been very detrimental in my life um uh, whether it was you know my dad using it my brother using it and me using it um extensively and a real problem with it and tons of embarrassing moments and i had no problem getting drunk you know um and psilocybin has shifted something in me where i just does not appeal to me and, and honestly, is having to, you know, once I had my kids, I shut down my drinking big time. You know, I'd still maybe on a weekend drink and drink to a point where maybe I'm slurring my words. Okay. Which is embarrassing in itself when you're an adult doing that. And Look, man, it's, it's a problem. It's a, it's a genetic disease. Um, but I remember I had a glass of wine at Thanksgiving. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, so, mentally fragile right now and like i cannot do anything to jeopardize where i'm at so i'm like done with alcohol i'm just fucking done and i haven't drank since then and uh it's it doesn't sit the way it used to and maybe that's just age too you know but i also feel like you know these plants have a have a essence these fungus have an essence and energy that kind of is like hey once this is in your body. You don't want these other toxic things in your body. R- Rashad Evans. And I'm, I'll say, it cause I, he said it and he's, he's a very dear friend of mine and my business partner Numbo. Um, you know, this dude's a former light heavyweight champion of the world. UFC hall of famer, just an absolute G uh, well-known. And he had a heavy mushroom trip in my yard. And I, and, and he, was talking to me while he was on. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to eat meat again. I'm like, okay. You know, like, yeah, right. There's no fucking way you're not eating meat again. And I said, well, why, why is that Rashad? And he said, the mushrooms told me, um, why would you put dead meat inside of a living body? And I was like, Whoa, okay. That's pretty heavy. And he hasn't eaten meat since then. That was like five years ago. I saw him
0: in an interview recently because I, I love the UFC, so that's the only sport I'd watch. And I was like, damn, he looks slim now. You know, and it's not that he was fat before, but like you said, middleweight, I, I would assume he was probably having to work to get up to that weight. And it looks like naturally, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, if he fought today, he'd be fine at 170 or 155.
1: No, no, no. He's still a big dude. He's still, he's still probably. 215 walking around but he 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 looks different he looks so different
0: yeah i mean he probably cut to 170 but even so yeah i mean he looks just doesn't look like the rashad that was fighting a few years ago
1: yeah no, it's it's very interesting when you see uh because i I remember when rashad had his last fight with anthony anthony smith and um, i was talking to him about connecting before that because he he had posted something and, and we we had been friends or acquaintances and he posted something. I hit him up. I'm like, yo, Rashad, look, I know you don't know me super well. I know we only – I was helping him with his sister who had some health issues and we were using CBD for it. And and uh, Trevor Whitman, who's the striking coach for Gaethje and Rose who's just – he's a G. He and I are really good friends. I'm like, yo, just – talk to Trevor, make sure I'm not some weirdo or whatever, you know, but like, look, you need to come out here, bro. You Like I could, I could see it in your post and your, and when we talked, like you need something and you're looking and I think I got it, you know, and the, the shift in people's faces post psychedelics, I've seen it on weekends where people will, will come for an extended weekend and When they get in, they look one way, and when they walk out, they look another. You know, and so Rashad's still a big dude, and he's training constantly. He's out in Florida, and uh, he's he's as physical as ever, getting after it daily. Um, but he looks he looks different. He, I think it's just it's really it's really quite interesting. Um, where like you might think he's lost a or he's he's really really thin, and and he's not. He's still jacked, but he's just uh, got a got a look to him that's a little bit healthier.
0: Yeah, and it's not thin. I, I don't want to kind of you know um, say that's what it was like. It was just lean and healthy, you know. Whereas I mean, um, uh, what's his name, Daniel Cormier? You know, he stopped fighting, and he's obviously his body composition has changed at the moment. It was almost like the opposite. You know, like now he became more svelte after he stopped fighting, and I'm sure it was the the diet change. Now, what has he reported about his his performance? Because I know there's a lot of anti anti veganism or plant based rhetoric out there. I personally think that a a plant dense diet with occasional meat, if that's what you want, is is the ultimate thing. Um, but uh, you know, or no meat at all if you if that works for you. But I mean. You know, we're all different types of um, backgrounds and you have people, that, you know, Aboriginal, Inuit, you know, they've been eating very, very differently for a long, long time. He was eating meat for all that time. What does he report as far as energy, strength, et cetera?
1: Yeah, and he switched He switched a lot to uh, fruitarian where he just eats a ton of fruit and uh, he does a lot of sea moss. And obviously, Umbo, our, our functional mushroom company, takes a lot of functional mushrooms, he eats a lot of mushrooms, um, but he says he feels great. He says he feels physically better than he ever has. He had a he had a comeback fight um, in uh, Khabib's Eagle fight uh, thing. His his promotion. He had a comeback fight. Uh, maybe it's been a, a couple years now, but he said he training in that he felt great using uh, mycorrhiz, which is basically cordyceps mushrooms. Cordyceps is um kind of known as the athlete's mushrooms so he was using a lot of those for training but um sea moss no meat no alcohol um tons of fruit mushrooms he said better than than he ever really has so um yeah he's looks good feels good he's he's a g
0: so you've been talking about umbo Let's talk about the different types of mushrooms. Obviously, we've got the psychedelic side, but talk about all the other, you know, the range that you have now for people listening.
1: Yeah, so when I talk about mushrooms, especially when we're talking about Umbo, our functional mushroom company, and and working with Jake Plummer, who's a former quarterback for the Broncos, and and, uh, uh, one of my best friends now, and Rashad, it's, it's really challenging because whenever you talk about mushrooms, people are like, Oh, it was just gonna get me high, right? So I always tell people there's three categories of mushrooms. You know, this is this is an oversimplification: gourmet mushrooms, functional mushrooms, and medicinal mushrooms. When I say medicinal, I'm talking about psychedelic psilocybin-containing mushrooms. I say that medicinally because as laws change, that's what that's what the terminology is gonna be for that. Functional mushrooms are 100% legal. They're in all, all, you know, Whole Foods, Sprouts, all the stores, natural grocers, all these grocery stores. These are like lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, turkey tail. And then gourmet mushrooms are what we're used to, right? Button mushrooms on pizza, right? That's what I think, or portobellas. And not all those mushrooms have to live in one of those categories. Lion's mane in particular, delicious mushroom, really good gourmet mushroom also incredibly functional for your cognitive um, health and therefore it's medicinal. Right. So, but for a little bit ease to kind of understand where we're talking, you have your gourmet mushrooms, which aren't really thought of as health and wellness, or I'm trying to help my gut health. So I'm going to eat, you know, this. Functional mushrooms do that. You want to talk about gut health. Turkey tails are really solid mushroom for gut health. You want to talk about lung health um a respiratory health cordyceps is a really good mushroom for that cognitive health i, I believe that there's going to be big changes to the way we treat um alzheimers and dementia with the um diterpenes inside lions mane mushroom so lions mane is one of those functional mushrooms 100% uh 100% legal that you could buy anywhere and uh, mushrooms that we sell at umbo getumbo.com um those are a category in its own right and um where we're headed with our company and then again uh, medicinal mushrooms are psilocybin containing mushrooms
0: see i again you talk about respiratory health for example you know two plus what well, three years ago now something swept through our nation that affected respiratory drive and You know, firstly, the underlying health of the nation is something as a drum I've been beating for three plus years now, but also learning about some of these plant medicines that could have helped, you know, and on top of, you know, the respiratory trainers. I mean, just simple exercise so that people were able to move, you know, infection off their lungs. So when you hear about yet another um, option, a plant-based option, forget what the name is. I mean, there's another one sweeping through now. My son just had it and I kind of, I think I fought it off at the moment, but It's so encouraging again to hear like, okay, I was a combat martial artist myself for a long time. My brain has been dinked quite a bit. You know, what is going to help that? What is going to help gut health? I mean, we destroy our gut biome with alcohol, with caffeine, with the processed foods. So it's encouraging to hear now that ancient medicine, I'm sure a lot of the mushrooms I'm assuming probably came from the Chinese, especially because they're known for their herbal medicine, that again, as an arrogant modern society, we're finally dropping some of that and going back and saying, "Okay, humans that existed before us since the beginning of time, what are we missing here?"
1: Yeah, and that's what I try to tell people too. Especially, you talk about—I'm sure you're—you're you're very physically fit. You're maintaining your your body. You're probably not really seeing a lot of issues. You know, maybe aches and pains here and there a little bit. But for me, the reason why I take mushrooms every single day. Is because I'm I'm thinking about when I'm 90, when I'm 95. I want to be as you know aware and cognizant and physically fit as I possibly can. I'd love to I'd love to beat the shit out of my grandchildren on the jujitsu mats, right? My great grandchildren too, right? Like that would be a really enjoyable thing. So when I think of mushrooms too, look, your audience needs to start looking them as a food group. This is like vegetables. And uh, when you're thinking about, well, what mushroom should I take? Or what does this do for that? While I can, I can, you know, work with you, like they're all adaptogens. And an adaptogen is not specific to one thing. Again, we, even on our packaging, we simplify it. We'll, we'll have, you know, a brain for lion's mane. And we know it's good for that. We know it's good for that. It's also good for your gut health, though too it's an adaptogen it's adapting to your body to kind of meet you where you need to be and so there's some overly oversimplifications that are happening but if your audience can look at mushrooms as an entire food group like vegetables it's very much like well uh why do you eat vegetables i don't know or like well i had vegetables once and i i don't have a six pack and i really didn't feel shit when i ate that salad you know sure it's like consistency over time equals results. So, for mushrooms, it's a food group that has compounds and, and polysaccharides and minerals and things you cannot get from any other source in the world. I want that in my body. I want to be eating that and ingesting that and, and having it be a consistent thing. And so, therefore, I take, I eat, I eat a lot of mushrooms and I um, take our tinctures mostly. And we've got some new things that we're going to be coming out with here soon. It's been challenging being kind of an athletic company trying to sell mushrooms because mushrooms are very, very complicated and athletes don't fully yet understand mushrooms yet. Um, And so we're going to shift it up into basically like performance and recovery. And again, you can use these mushrooms for everything, but we're going to simplify it. You know, if you want to, if you want to, Um, you know, be on fire cognitively before a jiu-jitsu match. We're going to have chaga, lion's mane, and cordyceps in a tincture form. You know, Uh, you want to get good rest. We have myco rest right now. This is lion's mane, reishi, and L-theanine. We add some other adaptogens and some uh, compounds to to, uh, make these things go further. Energy, like I said, for Rashad when he was wanting to um, train with younger dudes in the gym for his comeback. Myco Rise. This is this is our best and bestseller. It's a it's a really phenomenal product. It's got nicotine riboside in it, uh, Rhodiola Prime, which is a, a complex form of Rhodiola, and then Cordyceps. Big amount of Cordyceps And these are capsules, you know. But just the concept of if you're an athlete. And you're, you know, on the razor's edge of peak performance and whatnot. What if I told you there's an entire food group that you could eat that's like vegetables that, sure, it's not like taking steroids where you're going to gain, you know, 60 pounds of muscle and all that. But you will be better. You are going to be better if you if you inter- get these into your diet, you know. And so I'm a huge believer in mushrooms. Uh Jake is too. He's, he's frothing at the mouth for mushrooms. He, we've got a mushroom farm that he's taken over. He grows mushrooms every day. Um, Rashad's obviously a big advocate. Corey Sanhagen's on our uh, team as well. He's um, exploring mushrooms as well. He'll, he'll be a world champ here soon too. So uh, mushrooms are definitely a category that gets underlooked um, and Umbo's going to hopefully change that with some of the products that we're going to offer.
0: Well, it's exciting as well, because I mean, you have performance, but also a lot of the people listening are trying to perform, but they're sleep deprived, they're overworked. So for me, it's not about hacking at all. I hate that word hacking, but it's it's like, what are the tools available, whether you're still working in uniform or like myself, you're trying to unfuck yourself after 14 years of not sleeping every third day. How can I start putting that back? Because I, I refuse to believe that 49 is old. That's bullshit. Like you said, I want to be choking out people when I'm 90, you know what I mean, and walking the walk. And you see that. You see you see videos of these amazing – I just posted one today, I think it was, or last night, of a 102-year-old British veteran who just did a 12 – uh not 12K, a half marathon. He had someone yeah. kind of stabilizing him, but he walked a half marathon. That's who I want to be. I want to be the dude on Instagram before I die. <laughs> so, so we're trying to put the pieces back together again. So this is another entire, like you said, group of things. And if people listen, I mean, like the, the CBD at Charlotte's Web is amazing. And they have the zero THC line now. They're working with Major League Baseball. Absolutely a CBD range. But I think mushrooms are something that I haven't even put in my, my, um, my diet yet, apart from an occasional supplement maybe that I've come across. So I'm excited to try it myself too.
1: Yeah, they're good. We try to make it in a few different ways to, you know, like we have a, we have a, a energy bar and they, they're hands down the best bar you've ever had. And they have uh, two and a half grams of mushrooms in it. And so two different types. There's dairy-free in our uh, original bar. And um, it's a good way to just start introducing it. And I'm a big fan of tinctures because of charlotte's web um, it's very concentrated it's you know directly under the tongue i, I really uh, believe that that's a a good way to supplement uh but folks understand capsules you know and so our micro rise and micro rest are are in capsule form uh, but again i mean it's like find something that that works for you and again consistency over time i believe in like our, our rest product that if Um, You take a couple of them and you, and you slow down before bed and you, you know, take your three deep breaths and enjoy it with some tea and shut down all the media and, and have a conscious practice when you're ingesting anything really. Um, But these capsules and slowing down, I mean, um, I'm a big believer. I don't have a problem sleeping, but when I do in the sense that um, I went to Michigan and I, for some reason I was waking up super early and with the time change and staying up late because I wanted to be with my family at this family reunion one day, I just like wiped out and I took uh, two micro rest and I slept so well. I really believe in uh, their ability to help you just kind of slow down. And there's, there's tons of studies. If you study, if you look at lion's mane for cognitive health uh, university of Queensland, just put something out where it shows that lion's mane, is helping uh with neuronal projections so here are your neurons they're they're a fist and then the projections you pour lion's mane on it and these projections start to come out and tendrils that start connecting um they they are proving that lion's mane can help create new neuronal projections which as we age as we participate in sports that are separating neuronal projections uh it's really important to have a shield of of mushrooms uh, covering your your brain so huge believer i supplement with them every day and uh, i i do think it's the wave of the future for a lot of um, supplements but also let me just be crystal clear go eat some mushrooms go to your farmer's market and buy lion's mane and get some cocoa aminos and Slice it up, put it in a frying pan, make uh, lion's mane tacos. There's so many good recipes. It's like it's like um, lobster. It's like poor man's lobster. It tastes really kind of. Um, it's tremendous. But eating mushrooms is the best. But if you can't, getomo.com is where you could go to to uh, check out what we offer. And if we're not offering what you want, go find it somewhere else. But get mushrooms in your diet. It's a whole food group you've been missing. And Consistency over time equals results. If you don't see something the first two, three days, keep at it. Just be consistent. It'll pan out.
0: When you're doing the tendril thing, I watched the Last of Us series with my son. Do you know what that is? Yes. <laughs> I bet the mushroom yes. world were like, oh fuck, really? Mushrooms craze yeah. zombies. <laughs> we're gonna do this now?
1: <laughs> yeah, we uh we saw that coming and we tried to do a little mitigation beforehand, but uh, you know. People who would adhere to that, you're not going to sell them shit anymore. Anyway. No,
0: exactly. They're going to be drinking monsters and gaming all night, so you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to throw some very quick closing questions at you so I can let you go. The very first one i love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated.
1: Yes. Because I'm here, let me... Oh, I might have moved it. Dang, I did. I was on the side of my bed. I was going to say... The Lost Art of Dying. The Lost Art of Dying is a really good book. I'm I, my next step after after Umbo, and I'm already starting on it. is a little bit um, around planning for for your death, and honestly, like green burials, things of that nature. If if you want to talk about a industry that is ripe for disruption, it's the it's the burial process. And we die like cowards here in the United States. Um, most people have no plan. They're leaving it on their their loved ones to do. And about one hour of work would mitigate 100 hours when you die. And I'm, I'm putting some stuff together to offer that to people. Just a really quick planning thing where people kind of have an idea about how to go about their their death so the lost art of dying is a is a good book
0: i had a guest on bj miller and i actually heard him on tim ferris first um, he,
1: Beautiful.
0: he yep. yep yep so he lost uh let me see one arm and one leg i believe so he was uh basically both electrocuted yeah, both legs okay um yeah through uh getting on a tram he got arc through his watch and blew all his limbs off amazing guy the second time he came on i think his book was called um how to die i think i might be wrong but if people google his name and it's all of that and even even so let's say you are older and you listen to this or god forbid you've got you know some diagnosis where you know you're not going to be around for forever it was like cleaning out your house getting your paperwork in order the burden that some of us leave the next generation yeah. by dying you don't think about um and even like with with the the actual mechanical processing of my body. I want to be cremated and I'm not just fling me over in the Atlantic, halfway between England and, and America, and we're good to go. No skeletons, no yeah. no holes need to be dug. I don't need a, a tombstone. But it is it's interesting because we do hide from it, all of us. And I, and I would wonder if – actually, I would not wonder. I've heard a lot of people say that they realized that there was more through in their psychedelic experience, and that gave them a lot of peace. And I've, and I've heard even, you know, terminally ill – patients that are at the end of life doing psychedelics and finding peace with their own mortality. So it kind of circles around to our earlier conversation.
1: There's an incredible group in Canada called Theracil that's um, working with end of life patients and changing legislation up there to help them use psilocybin. So, yeah.
0: Amazing. All right. Well, then what about uh, a movie and or documentary?
1: You know, I don't watch a lot of TV, man. I I, uh, I, I, I just don't. Um, the Culture High is one I watched quite a few years ago. That's something that I talked about. Um, I think that's an important um, documentary that doesn't get talked about. But uh, yeah, man, movies for me are an escape. There should be an escape, like Avenger type fake. Stuff you know, there's too much heavy shit in the world. I don't need that in a in a movie as well, man. I'll 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 live my nightmare every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, then the next question: Is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's see. I've got you. You've you've had some of them on. Already, you know, I mean, uh, Marcus Capone, Jesse Gould, Kate Pate, you know, you you run a you run a tight ship here. But I would suggest maybe um, Heather Jackson's always got such a tremendous story uh, similar to pages and obviously yet so different. For some reason, what came to my mind is my friend Drew McManus, who um, has a band called SatSang and uh they're the heroic path the light guys are humongous fans of his and he's got a particular song called i am that has been really moving for them and i know i know quite a few people who it's like their their anthem after they they hear it but drew is an incredibly unique human being who's actually a jujitsu brown belt um has a Touring bands, played Red Rocks. Dope, dope human being. He's a good friend of mine and uh, incredibly relatable uh, person. Who first responders and firefighters. Everybody likes Drew. He's a good dude.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get him on if you can help make that happen.
1: Uh, I I can put you guys in a thread today. Beautiful. He, he actually that painting right there behind me. Did uh, he's a he's an artist. He's a he's a dynamic hum, human being. His songs uh are so incredibly touching and then he's such an asshole on the mats you know what i mean (laughs) it's it's such a beautiful dynamic of just being a a thug leg locking you know career ending heel hooker and then he puts out songs like i am you know i am an asshole
0: he's he's dope brilliant all right well then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you and umbo and all the things we talked about today what do you do to decompress
1: jiu-jitsu all day long man 6 a.m um monday wednesday friday i go to open mats friday nights and then i hit the mats again on uh, sunday 9 a.m uh jiu-jitsu has been really important to me to physically move things through my body to sweat out trauma. You know what I mean? And, and to have a a community of brothers and sisters who are, are there for it. And, and I, and I like people who have the mentality of like, my joy is, is physical pain. You know what I mean? So for me, decompression absolutely looks like um, jujitsu and or elk hunting in the woods by myself. That's, that's something I do. And it's September and to be hundred percent honest, the moment I'm off of this, I'm racing up to the mountains to go elk hunting uh, with some friends. And as we talked, just got back with Matt after he was successful in killing a bull last week um, jujitsu and elk hunting are my go-tos for calming
0: down brilliant i was just having a conversation with some of the guys i train with and i'm like you realize this is the only sport where your partner will turn around and maybe you happen to be you know tapping them out at that point they're like let me show you how to make it worse for me no one else does that then boxer says let me show you how to hit me harder you know but in jujitsu like yeah you choke me but i I, was more of a crank than a choke so you know if you move over here a little bit more oh fuck 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 yeah that's it
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah no it's 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 a beautiful art uh the the more i see it striking striking is so interesting to me being being uh friends with trevor whitman and you know seeing someone like Corey sandhagen when you start to fully understand this aren't just two dudes in the cage throwing haymakers but they they have they are setting things up it is so incredibly beautiful to watch the dance uh but yeah it's very it's very interesting that my favorite hobby is trying to kill people and trying not to be killed. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, the last thing then, where can people find Umbo? Where can they find the nonprofit? And then where can they find you on social media?
1: Yeah, you go to get is our website and then get on Instagram. That's where we kind of have our biggest audience. Um, unlimited we are going to be popping a call center next year for people who want to better understand how to um, safely use psilocybin we reference data we are not giving medical advice uh, but unlimited and unlimited sciences on instagram is our our other larger audience um yeah and then just del jolly on instagram is is my thing i think i've got to underscore there or something but um yeah i'm i'm grateful to get those plugs out there and i i hope that we can be of service whether it's through functional mushrooms or yes even psilocybin containing mushrooms beautiful
0: well Dell, i want to thank you so much i've been chatting for two and a half hours and it's been an amazing conversation we've gone all over the place and uh i think we share the same passion and the same kind of um contradiction as we said before but uh, i want to thank you so so much for being so generous and coming on the behind the shield podcast today
1: thank you so much james it was an absolute pleasure i'm i'm humbled to be here thank you